welcome to the sixth episode of the Hashishin. I'm your host, Shiragam Amir. Today, I'm thankful to have Sam from Mile High Melts, based out of Boulder, Colorado. Thank you, Sam, of for course. sitting down and chit-chatting. Of course, man. If you want to follow Sam, you can follow him on Instagram at mile underscore high underscore melts with an S or on his personal account at samwise.ganji. That's S-A-M-W-I-S-E dot G-A-N-J-I. So through our communications, you know, getting to this interview, I know you mentioned that you were celebrating your birthday recently. Mm-hmm. So I just kind of want to say belated happy birthday, A. And then uh, B, I was curious if you tell us how old you turned. 27. 27. Yeah. Right. Cool. And where was it that you went to celebrate? Up to Aspen. Yeah. It was a great weekend. I'm curious what strains you were smoking on your birthday. I had a good little flavor pack from mostly from Weed Pray Love's material. Um, I had banana punch, ice cream cake, Kim papaya cake and I had a few different flavors from a few different extractors in Colorado I had the astronauts I had some of his Kim de la Kim and the palm beach sour and then I had some papaya cake from dang old hash another processor on Colorado that was that was about it <laughs> that's that, that sounds like a pretty good birthday yeah it was, it was great and a good bit of flour too some ice cream cakes papaya cake and some fabuloso Cool. Well, uh, like I said, that sounds like quite the lineup. Yeah, it's a good little flavor pack. I wanted to talk to you about something kind of outside of cannabis a little bit, which is just this thing that happened a few weeks ago with the magic mushrooms essentially being, I guess, legalized mm-hmm. or going to be legalized. Yeah, decriminalized. Or de- yeah. And I was wondering, I guess, what your opinion on that was. I think it's a great step towards, you know, like legalizing what you know can be used as medicine i think psychedelics is a great medicine so yeah i think it's it's a great move i really think a lot of states i think it's will hopefully like start a ball rolling in the right direction yeah i think it's cool that denver was definitely like one of the first recreationally legalized weed and then with the mushrooms coming along behind it's definitely cool to be like part of that progression yeah and what do you think that says about i guess kind of this time and in place and and the people of Colorado that in both instances kind of uh, at least on the in the recreational sense of cannabis mm-hmm. and then now with the mushrooms they are kind of at the forefront of leading this change yeah. uh, in this country mm-hmm. and so you know I, I think from talking earlier you said you you've been here about six years now mm-hmm. yeah yeah five five okay yep. Yep. and so I'm just Again, kind of curious, like, what you feel it says about the people in Colorado. Um, I think it just shows that, you know, everybody's very open-minded out here. And it's kind of, like, open to new thoughts and, you know, progression of just figuring out new things about certain plants and, you know, plant medicine. It's interesting because, like, where I'm from, Wyoming, that's, like, just a few hours away. It's kind of the opposite. It's very backwards. You know, I don't be interesting if they would ever legalize either which i think you know everything's going that direction but i think it'll be a little bit so it's it's interesting that like just a little bit further down south everybody's a little more open-minded yeah yeah i think you know for example like denver has been considered kind of a 
a place where people have been open-minded for a while, but I don't know necessarily that I would think that maybe like in some parts of the outskirts of Colorado. Uh Uh-huh. I'm sure, yeah. I'm sure there's still like small towns that are very, you know, in their own way. Right. Yeah. But I think definitely the majority, you know, Denver and Colorado Springs and stuff, I think are progressive and open-minded. Yeah. Maybe that's Colorado Springs, but... And like you said, um, you know, it's it's basically, it comes down to, to plant medicine. Mm-hmm. And, you know, um, cannabis as well is its own plant medicine. And I feel that the, the mushrooms also have their place as well. And, you know, as long as it's being done with good intentions yeah. and, you know, responsibly, especially for people that maybe like haven't ever experienced it. Mm-hmm. But I think it could be a very like introspective type experience. Definitely. Um, Definitely. So yeah, I, I agree. I, I think it's pretty like innovative, uh, yeah. and it's a step in the right direction. Definitely, I'm definitely interested in seeing what next steps there are if it like become like legal, legal, like recreationally. Um, so you said it was yeah, it was it's decriminalized. Okay. okay, yeah. So they don't put any money towards. Enforcing it. Enforcing it, I think. And um, I think it's just like a fine now or maybe just like a you know, slap on the wrist. And stuff. Right. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, it'll be interesting. I mean, I know for sure Holland, I don't know if they still have them, but I know at some point for a long time they had the smart shops. Yeah, they had the like truffles. Yeah, essentially they just had a, you know, depending on the shop, but like a variety of, uh, of different mushrooms and uh-huh. uh, just different regions. Mm-hmm. And... Of varied effects, you know. Yeah. So, and I mean, you know, everything seemed to be going okay there. Uh huh. Yeah. It would be interesting if there would be like, like types of like, where you can take mushrooms or anything. Because even like, there's still nowhere really in Denver that you can like consume cannabis like legally. There's, I think they just passed a bill that it's coming, but there's not like still no dab lounges or anything. They still get shut down. If they try and operate and stuff. So it'll be interesting seeing where that goes. If it ever does move that direction, yeah, that's a huge area that I feel is like lacking. Yeah, because like it's it's just like people come out here and you know like travel out here to smoke weed and then they don't have anywhere to smoke it. Or, like you know, go to their hotel room and then get in trouble from the the place. It'd be yeah, it's hard. Yeah, definitely. You know, it's almost like you have to look for a place that is like cannabis friendly. Mm-hmm. You know, definitely, definitely. And it's a weird situation as a tourist, like. It is because it's like you feel like it should be legal out here, and then you come out and you're like, wait, there's still like, oh, I can't smoke in a park. I can't like be out hiking and smoke. I can't like, it's like still like, you know, very tiptoe in some, in some ways. Yeah. I always found that to be kind of an odd thing. I think I came here in 2014 uh, with the same friend that I had gone to Amsterdam with just to kind of check out uh, recreational mm-hmm. cannabis, and like that was kind of one of the things and so we got invited to like some almost like a party mm-hmm. or something from yeah. one of the clubs and we went and it was just like kind of like you said it was almost like in the outskirts yeah it was just kind of weird and Definitely. but i mean it wasn't like a weird event once you got in there mm-hmm. it was you know kind of normal but yeah but at the same time you kind of felt like it had to be removed a little bit from yeah that and i mean you know it's like there was an admission and you yeah. know so it's like i don't but yeah, the the social I think aspect is it is also lacking for like not only tourists but the people here. Yeah, definitely. 
you know, um, like people had like coffee shops to go to yeah, or, exactly. or whatever. Yeah, exactly. I think it'd be like a little more of a community, which there's still like good events and stuff out here, like, you know, but it's not as, not as prevalent as it should be. Yeah. Yeah. Well, cool. I wanted to ask you a little bit about your recent trip to Australia. Yeah. And kind of see, you know, if you can tell us a bit, a little bit of like why and what, you know, drew you there. Yeah, so um, I just went out there a few months ago for a glass event. So like a glass uh, gallery had a show out there with a few um, American glass artists, Buck Glass and Trevi Metal. And so I collect some of Trevi Metal's work. And so I went out there for the show and to, I got a piece of art out there as well. And I just went out there kind of to check it out. I, was, I spent 12 days out there, so got a good little feel for it out there. And it was, it was really cool. There's a good little like cannabis community out there. I wasn't expecting. Yeah, it was, it was really cool. Yeah, you were telling me a little bit about that earlier, and you know, it's one of the things that I wanted. I was curious about is just you know what the cannabis scene is like. Yeah, in Australia. And again, remind me what part you um, went it to. was up uh, near Brisbane, so Gold Coast. And yeah, there was there was a good scene out there. It was a lot more than I expected. You know, there's people out there that had freeze dryers for you know making melt. And they had. Uh, you know, rosin presses out there. There's people making rosin out of, you know, hash. There's power rosin as well. People making diamonds. You know, there's some really good flour. I was, yeah, I was really impressed. I was, I was expecting a, somewhat of a scene out there, but then not to be like as far along with like the concentration game and just like everything. Yeah. It was cool to see. Yeah. I mean, it's obviously far. Yeah, definitely. It's a, it was a far trip. But, you know, now something, everything is like so interconnected. Yeah, exactly. It was crazy. It was like, I was mentioning like just people that I know here on like Insta or Instagram, like just in passing, they're like, oh, this person. And I was like, they like, they follow them. And it was just, it was weird how everything's just so connected. And they just like, they can follow right along with like the texts that get posted and stuff. And yeah, it's, it's really cool how connected everything is nowadays. Yeah. I'm curious, like, what kind of strange are they growing out there? Or did you see while you were out there? They had a lot of like old school. There's a lot of like fruity, fruity strains. A lot of things that did well with the hot. It's hot and humid out there. So it was just, I can't remember exactly which brands, like which gear they were rocking. But there's some like chocolate and can't remember exact strains. I'm usually yeah. really good with strains. but No, was, no, that's cool. Yeah. I was just wondering. So, I mean, but you would say they're definitely... Yeah, like, they stay up with it. Like, a lot of them, the people that I was, like, I'd, like, follow on IG and stuff that were over there, a lot of them were at Spanibus that weekend because that was the same weekend. But, so a lot of them go up there, you know, they hit the events over in Europe and stuff, and I think they, like, stay up with genetics. And, like, there's events in, in Australia, I guess, like, little, like, conventions and stuff. So I think they stay up with, like, the gear. You know, there was definitely, like, they had Dozy Dough and, like, you know, they had, like... Some of the bigger, yeah, like, popular... Yeah, stuff that, you know, is big over here, too. Yeah, that, no, that's cool. And then you mentioned a little bit about the hash earlier and said, like, it's pretty good, but you think maybe the, the weather conditions are just making it too tough without having, like, a control environment. Yeah, definitely. I don't think, like, I don't think there's enough, like, what I got out of it, there's not a ton of like hash smokers out there or anything, so they're more making it for their personal use and stuff. And it's it's hot and it's humid out there. Like I was out there kind of the end of the summer, but it was it was you know ninety 
100 degrees and it was very humid. So I'm sure it'd take a lot to cool a room in that and, you know, get dehue and stuff. So they definitely were like talking about how everything was, you know, sticky and greasy and yeah. just like definitely, I think it's harder to make fashionless conditions. Yeah, I bet that's tough, but I'm sure they'll also figure it out. Yeah, quickly, exactly. You know? Exactly. No, once there's once there's like a market for it and like things I think there is like medical cannabis in one I don't think they're countries, I think it's like a region or whatever. There is like medical cannabis, but it's very like only a few licenses handed out and kinda of behind on the extracts and stuff. But once there becomes a market and once there becomes viable out there, I think it'll definitely move right along. Yeah. Yeah. Like you said earlier, everything just keeps going. Yeah, it's crazy. The hash game just keeps changing. So, you know, other places may not like be there right now, but they really quickly can be. Mm -hmm. you know? Exactly. So, With how accessible everything is now, everything's, you know, just right on the internet or a DM away. That's crazy. And I think with like some of these big companies that are buying up land in like Colombia and like over, you know, South America and overseas and stuff, it's, it's going to be interesting seeing like the next 10 years of cannabis. It's going to be really cool. It'll be a worldwide phenomenon. Yeah, it will be interesting. Yeah. I mean, you know, just in the last five to ten years, it's come a long way. And I think Definitely. that, like, it's just going to get, like, exponentially bigger, mm -hmm. you know. Mm -hmm. So it will be kind of interesting to see how things play out, you know. Yeah. I, don't, I don't think everybody, I don't think things are going to turn out exactly how anybody expects either way. Or, no, yeah, know. never really is. Yeah, so, well, cool. And so... You were mentioning that you collect some of Trevi Meadows' work, mm -hmm. and specifically, you got this essentially Tasmanian devil. Yeah, it was like a Tasmanian devil skull. So Buck Glass, he's famous for like his skull-inspired rigs. So they usually usually does cats, saber-toothed tigers, or like allosaurus dinosaurs, or just different skulls and stuff. So this was like an Australian themed. They picked a Tasmanian devil as the animal, and then. So yeah, it was a shaped like a Tasmanian devil and then Trevi metal carved like Australian themed art onto it. So it's a pretty special piece. Yeah, it I got to see it and it's beautiful. I mean It's know, crazy, it's really intricate and like it you could stare at it for a good amount of time and you keep on finding something new to look at. Yeah, the the etching work is really nice and then but yeah, just like, you know, the skull itself or the shape is, mm -hmm. is pretty it, amazing. It's cool because it's like it's really like art, even like I got stopped in the airport and stuff on the way back. And like, it was nobody ever really like thought it was like a bong or anything. It was <laughs> like, this is, I was like, oh, it's just a glass sculpture, like that I got in Australia, you know? And it is. And that's, yeah, that's exactly. And like, I can show like my dad or like my parents, you know, like this is like a glass, you know, like cool glass sculpture. And it's not like, oh, it's a bong, it's a pipe. Right. You know? Yeah. But it is at the same time. <laughs> you know, you can definitely still smoke out of it. So it's, it's cool. Yeah. I mean, the, it has its functionality, but mm -hmm. I mean, you know, visually, I I don't see it any different than like somebody making a piece of jewelry or mm -hmm. exactly. a piece of metalwork or something, you know, so it's definitely on par with that. Um, and, you know, I know from keeping up with you for over the years that you do like glass and you're kind of like, I don't know, I guess I would say almost into glass. Yeah, definitely. It's definitely I think it kind of goes hand in hand with hash. You know, you don't have to definitely be in both, into both, but, you know, they definitely go with each other. So it's, I definitely, like, have always been in the hash. And then I basically have, like, watched the 
degenerate art by Slinger. It was like a movie that or a documentary he put out. Um, I think it was maybe ten years ago. And yeah, I basically started like collecting pendants and like I'd go up to Montana and go to the head shops and like you know buy a few like little Sherlock's or something. But, and then moving to Colorado, it was just evolved. Yeah, yeah. It's funny. I've seen like throughout the years, you like you'll have pieces, and then like even through social media. I guess at some points you're like kind of done with them and you're like kind of moving on from them and then getting mm-hmm. a new piece later. Yeah, it's definitely, it's like, I don't know, your taste definitely, definitely keeps changing. I feel like as you, you know, get older and stuff. And yeah, I'm not really that into the stuff I was, I used to be into. Like I've definitely always been into like similar things, but yeah, it definitely changes. And yeah. Well, and I'm sure like what's being produced also changes. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Like that whole scene has definitely evolved a lot just with like the hashing evolving quickly everything the whole glass scene is evolving quickly too there's some really crazy pieces being made just with everything being so accessible on that end too i think a lot of artists can just like you know dm another artist on how technique or something and it's it's just it's yeah everything's so accessible now it's just everything moves so quick yeah you see somebody else like do something and you get an idea from that and it's like i like to do that too i didn't even know i could do that you know similar with hash you know you see somebody else like the consistency somebody else makes and like whoa that can be done with hash and so you know you're like how could i make my hash look like that or how could i achieve that yeah it definitely just keeps evolving it seems like everybody's just like feeding off each other mm-hmm. and it's cool it's that it keeps everything moving so quick it's crazy like just with like rosin coming on the scene like three and a half four years ago or so and yeah, just everything is changing so much since then. That's crazy. Yeah, no, I agree. And you brought something up earlier off air that I said that I hadn't really ever thought about, which was kind of the influence of some of the people that are creating some of this glass. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I definitely think like there's a lot of people that like are into like, like I said, kind of hash and glass go hand in hand together. And like when they see like, the people that they look up to, like as glassblowers smoking a certain product or anything, they definitely seem to gravitate towards that. Or like, you know, somebody of that statue would smoke something like that, and it must be fire. I should go ahead and grab that. And I think the big evolution of like people getting into solventless was I definitely saw the glassblowers all getting into it first, and like you know some of the bigger names only smoking solventless and stuff, and then a lot of people following. And I'm not like attributing problem is getting so big to that but i think it was definitely went hand in hand with it yeah you're right i mean like you said not maybe accounts for like everything but yeah and just with like just how big social media plays in our industry these days it's crazy yeah you see just with people post and like what they post and the drive sales and it's crazy it's really you know if you know how to work instagram you really can make something viable yeah, and I guess like the only, well, not the only, but one of the crazy parts is just how like unpredictable that is. Yeah, you really, know? it really, yeah. People like you wouldn't expect people to like like a certain thing or something, you know. And it's just like it blows up, and all of a sudden, overnight, everybody wants that, and that's yeah, that's crazy. And you know, speaking of social media, you know, I started following you. I think I don't remember what year it was, but you were still wild, stankist. Uh-huh. And then now, like I said earlier, you 
you have a new tag. Yeah. And I was just curious, like, why the change? I just, I, I, I had that tag. I made it when I, I had that account when I was back in Wyoming and stuff back, you know, six, seven years ago. And it was always like, I don't know. I, when I moved down here, my old boss used to give me shit for it. Just like he, he had a bad experience in Wyoming and was always like, oh, you should change it, blah, blah, blah. And, and I always felt like I couldn't really change it because like I would go to events and then people would be like, oh, I know you was like, why is Dankus? Right. Like, and, you know, and it was just finally like, I didn't really like being like, oh, are you why is Dankus? Or are you like, <laughs> I don't know, it was, it was kind of a... So not to confuse people. Yeah. So I like, I was like, oh, I should probably make it somewhat close to my name. So like people are like, oh, Sam, like Sam, Sam Wise. Okay. Are you Sam? Instead of like, you know, that's, I don't know. It's funny how that works and like how people's tags become like who people know them as. Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely. Especially when you go to like events and like cannabis cups and when you're like working them and stuff and it's just like, yeah, that's what people, which I mean, you know, that's what they know you as. So, you know, it, but yeah, it, it's definitely, it's a little bit weird. I always think it, I always think it's weird when like somebody's like, oh, just like, you know, calls people by only their Instagram name or anything. But also like, I have a hard time when I'm like trying to tell somebody who somebody is and I'm like, oh, this is their Instagram tag. And then they're like, oh, I know who that is. Right. It's like, so much okay. easier. Uh -huh. Yeah. That, that, that's real funny to me. And yeah, I don't know. Yeah. Like you said, that's what people know people as. So. Yeah, it's interesting. It's definitely, it's crazy. Just, yeah, how everything evolves. Yeah. So, you know, again, this is obviously from from afar, but through social media, it seems like right now you're kind of going through a pretty exciting period where you are kind of exploring things. It almost seems like with a sense of curiosity and kind of pushing the limit on what can be done with uh, resin that's been, I guess, collected solventlessly. Yeah, definitely. I think it's it's just like when you when you make hash all day and stuff, it's like you definitely want to do something new with it or like find out what exactly it can do. And like I said, when you see other people posting like a consistency that they've achieved or like they've gotten to, and it's it makes you like you know curious as to like what you can do with yours and like and definitely just like with playing with you know resin over the years of like different people's resin and stuff back when I used to work with essential extracts you know we, we worked with a ton of different growers a lot of different dispensaries and stuff so we saw like a, just a big variation of resin and so like you know it was definitely it was great like seeing just like so many different types of resin and like how hash can be changed and what it can do. Yeah. And it's just, yeah, it keeps evolving. It's crazy. You think that like you've reached the pinnacle and then you see somebody else do something and you're like, it just pushes it that much farther. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, you've said it a few times that like people like are essentially like achieving these new consistencies uh -huh. and like textures so I've been kind of thinking about in the, in the terms of what this resin, what's happening to it. Yeah. And trying to find like the best term or word to describe like what's happening to it. And I was wondering if you could give me, I guess, your, your 
I guess, take or maybe the word that you would use to describe what's happening to the resin? Like, for example, is it being like morphed? Is it being transformed? Is it changing? It's definitely changing. Yeah. Yeah, that's an interesting question. Uh, probably like, yeah, like, you know, changing or transforming, you know, and it's not even like changing, you know, like the reason I've definitely like aimed for certain consistencies or anything is just because like when I get rosin or when I have rosin or something, if I have a certain consistency in it, like I don't like the way it is or the way it's to dab or the way it like, you know, like when rosin first came out, it was definitely like just people would just press it and then it'd be sappy and then it turned to like a drier butter which I still like the sap and like the pre pre butter stuff, but then it kind of dries out and it's hard to hard to handle and stuff. So that's where like I think I've aimed for getting stuff to like a wetter consistency. So like when a consumer gets it, it's not changing to them. Or like I don't like giving a consumer like a product that is sap and then it's gonna be a half butter and then it's gonna be a butter and then it's gonna be a dry butter. I would rather give them like a wet butter that I've modified i guess into that wet butter and then it'll stay a wet butter or you know a sauce and it'll stay a sauce over that time that they have it but would that always entail i guess them using some kind of refrigeration or some kind of method to keep the resin at a cool steady temperature um not even with like some of like that's what like i've always aimed for is is not to have to do that because like you know that's why, like, with, like, the wet butters and stuff that we've been getting, reaching lately, you know, it, it can stay at room temperature and it'll, it'll keep that wet look, you know, over, like, maybe a month or two, you know, it might dry out a little bit as you open it and close it. But at room temperature, it should stay that wet look. And same with, like, the sauce and stuff like that. It should stay that consistency at room temp, which I like because I, I'm, I don't know, personally, I just, I leave my hash on my table. I'm not, like, a big... Like, if I have melt, I definitely I'll refrigerate that. But uh, I honestly, I smoke more more rosin than melt. So, yeah. Yeah, that's interesting. So, you mentioned earlier working with essential extracts. Mm -hmm. And I definitely want to talk to you about that, like, more in depth. Yeah. A little later. But the thing I did want to talk to you about which is kind of leading up to Mile High Melts, is what year you started working with them and then like, what kind of consistencies were you guys putting out at that time and how has that changed in like these four to five years? Yeah, so I, I started with Essential and right when I moved down here in 2014, I, I started working with them about a month after I moved down here. And so back then we were just, it was still, we were making, we were making just, you know, bubble. We were sieving it onto trays and then air drying it. And, um, you know, things have definitely changed a lot. We, so at that point, you know, we were just, like I said, sieving onto trays and then the freeze dryer, definitely that was like the next change. And that changed, you know, a lot. And so then we were putting out like the freeze dried solventless as like our heads and stuff. And then the rosin came out and, you know, like what, three and a half, four years ago, I think. So then we started putting out rosin. And so we were still putting out, you know, like our 70U and like our, what we considered like full melt. And then we had rosin the rest of it. So we were 
first we were putting out like a rosin shatter. We were pretty particular on like keeping it like a shatter look. And then we kind of, you know, figured out that like rosin likes to butter up, you know, eventually it's going to butter. And so we started putting out like butters and stuff. And then we, you know, we, then the THCA isolation came out a few years ago with the solvent list and we started playing with that. So we started putting out like the, the sauce, like the THCA, just the THCA by itself, the terps by itself, and then like a combination, which was like the solventless sauce we were producing. And so, yeah, I think those are like all the consistencies we like kind of handled up that at Essential. So I worked there for four years. And yeah, it was, it was, like I said, it was an awesome time. Like I learned so much about hash and uh, everything. I, I went from, you know, never making hash to running, you know, two batches a day for five days a week, you know, like making a lot of hash and seeing a lot of different resin and seeing a lot of different strains. And it was very cool. I, that experience I could never trade for anything. It, like, you know, I, like I have like a dialogue, I feel like of like, how strains have done because of you know we've ran so many for so many places back in the past because back then we were you know we were sourcing all our material so we were just getting different dispensaries material and stuff so we we're seeing a huge variation of strains and just resin and everything so you know, I learned a lot there you know how to how to run you know up at scale how to run multiple batches a day you know how to run freeze dryers like. And it was cool. We like we you know we definitely we gotta play. I gotta like definitely like dial in consistencies there. I definitely had the freedom to like try new things and like yeah, it was great. Yeah, that sounds cool. And I know that yeah, Essential used to run a lot of stuff for a lot of people here. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, and they were in a lot of different dispensaries at some points. Yeah, definitely. So that really must have been kind of a unique opportunity, like you said, for you to see so much different material and kind of see the results. Yeah, exactly. From that. Yeah, exactly. Like, you know, you could like, you know, see how a certain batch came out and then like, you know, we could, you know, you could ask like how they were growing or like, you know, what medium they're using, what types of lights they're using, you know, and like you could figure out or not, you know, you could find out certain ways or how resin came out. Right. Yeah. And was seeping kind of, the thing that changed Waterhouse, you feel like from being, um, how do you put it, more of like either like almost bowl topper like, yeah. type material? I think definitely like to being dabbable. The microplaning and the sieving, you know, those were definitely two different ways to achieve that. And I think it's just, it's definitely just like the finer you break down your material, you know, it's going to melt like better. If you like leave it in a chunk and you try and dry it as a chunk, it's not going to dry in the first place because it's just like surface area, you know, it's definitely got to be thin and there's parts of it that aren't probably going to get dry. But past that, it's just like, that's why like microplane hash, I feel like dabs the best out of freeze dried hash or sieved hash or anything is because you're literally like cheese grating everything into fine particles. And it's like, it's like throwing rocks on a like nail or like, you know, like, rocks on something or like gravel on something you know but rocks look huge like or if it's broken up super super fine you know the gravel looks like just like some stuff on on the ground because it's broken up so fine right and it's similar with melt like that's why like a lot of people still like microplane hash and stuff is because you're breaking down everything so fine and that it looks like it melts so much better like 
it's not that those stocks aren't there or anything, but like when you leave it freeze dried, those stocks are still full. They're not broken down. They're not shaved into a bunch of little pieces. You see the full long stock. And so that's why like a lot of times microplane hash looks a lot better than freeze dried hash or sieved hash or anything. It's because like everything's broken down a lot smaller. Do you think since you guys did both, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, we did microplane hash for a little bit. We did, um, we did a few batches of it. We just had, we would have certain batches that the resin was too greasy to sieve. And so we'd have to like, you know, microplane it. Yeah. And since you did both, would you say there's kind of any loss that happens when you microplane versus sieving? I never really noticed much, but I would think there might be with, because those trichrome heads are being ruptured and like the oil is being exposed. So I would think that there would be some like, loss of turbines maybe that were inside the head that if it was left as a full head it might not have been lost because you're rupturing those heads when you're seat when you're microplaning it but i've never really noticed too much of a difference okay yeah and i mean you've gone through obviously lots of different batches mm-hmm. and so if you haven't noticed a difference there's likely probably not that much yeah. loss. yeah and like microplane hash dries a little bit quicker so like but, you know, like the, that time, less time on at air temp or like room temp without being sealed, you know, might preserve some more terpenes that if you sieved it, you might have lost because it sits out for longer. Or, you know, like there's definitely different variables that play, play a role. And when you were drying, this was like in cold rooms or? Yeah, it was like, it was like, a, I mean, it wasn't like cold, cold, like, it, you know, it was. 55, 65 with, you know, okay. hues and stuff running in there. And so, you know, it's, it's definitely probably better to run cold over in, you know, a smaller spot in the back of a dispensary. So we kind of did what we did at the time. But, yeah. Yeah. And then when the freeze dryer came out, you know, that revolutionized everything. Because it was just like, you know, no more room, no more controlled rooms that you had to have 100 trays in there that take up so much space. You have four freeze dryers that you can slam in a room and try everything in 24 hours yeah instead of 12 days do you think there's any benefit to doing it the i guess old school way tradition um i i don't see any benefit honestly like a lot of if i if anything i'd say like like i said microplaning it you definitely like break everything up a little bit finer so it might look a little bit better might melt a little bit better i like the look of sieve tash like i really miss the look of like really fire greased up sea bash it looks like caviar you know little like fish eggs it's really pretty but i feel like the freeze dryer you maintain you retain more turfs and stuff with just drying so quickly it's not exposed to the air it's dried cold you know there is a vacuum being pulled on it but it's cold in there you know i think a lot of those terpenes don't start coming off until you know they reach a certain temperature and it being cold in there i think it definitely retains a lot of those terpenes and then just like i feel like once you rosin it and stuff freeze-dried stuff looks a little bit better because i i feel like when you air dry it it's easier for the product to oxidize a little bit over that time and then you can come up with a little bit darker of a resin when you go to squish it right so i feel like you know freeze-dried you can definitely maintain a little bit better color but better terps and you can get the product done so much quicker it's just the viability of like, you know, doing runs every day, it's 
it's hard to do runs every day and fill up a room and then you know you gotta wait for it to dry it's just yeah, it's not practical yeah when you like you know when you're running small batches and like not doing a ton of work you know you can definitely keep on top of it but it gets hard when you're trying to you know run a lot of material every day yeah i can imagine and so that leads me into asking you about i guess your new venture mm-hmm. which is mile high melts yep and i was wondering what kind of led you to do your own thing and when you, i guess started so essential extracts kind of boo transferred like moved out to california so i i wanted to stay in colorado i had you know, I like I love Colorado. I don't really see myself leaving anytime soon. But uh, so I definitely I just I was always doing like runs for other people and stuff like just you know like homies and stuff throw me some material and stuff to run. And it was it was always just smaller stuff. And yeah, when things went down at Essential, I just you know saw that I could be making a good amount of money doing my own thing, making hash every day, you know, making hash for a few homies. And, you know, I, yeah, I saw the viability in it and I'd always kind of want to do that. So I took a bit of money and bought a press and a freeze dryer and, you know, asked a buddy if I could use his basement and, you know, started running some hash. Cool. Yeah. Uh, no, that's cool, man. And what would you say, like, are some of the, positives and then maybe also some of the negatives of doing your own thing so yeah the positives are definitely you know like doing your own thing working for <laughs> yourself you know having freedom to take time off and you know there's definitely nice to have a paycheck every you know like to expect you know and like not to have to go find work or anything you know like go find material or you know but it's definitely worth worth the reward. Yeah. And I guess anything on the negative side? Yeah, just, like, you know, the negative side would just be, you know, trying to, yeah, I guess, having to, like, you know, do those extra things. But, it's you know, it's worth it for sure. And then I was curious, like, while you were working with Essential, mm-hmm. at what point did it feel to you like you went from almost like looking up to some people in the hash world at that time. Mm-hmm. And then eventually almost feeling like, I guess like a peer with them. I don't know. Cause like, that's another thing that was awesome about essential extracts was like, we went, we would go to all the events and we would do live demos and stuff. And like, I met all the people that I'd always followed on Instagram and looked up to. And like, it was, yeah, it was awesome. It was like, you know, dabbing with the people that I always like looked up to admit that their hash was like stuff that I'd only seen on Instagram and then they're sitting next to me and, you know, like trading dabs of what hash they've made and they're like, Oh, your hash is great and it's just yeah, it, it it's awesome and uh so I don't know and like I really I don't even know if I really see myself as a peer, you know. It's yeah. definitely still like look up to a lot of people. Like yeah, I don't know. Was, if you had to like say a few of the people like that maybe you've looked up to or maybe you can still look up to now, uh-huh. who would that be? So definitely, like, there's definitely a few people, like, Cuban Grower, he's been crushing it forever. I definitely, like, remember me and him back at the Denver High Times Cup back, I think, like, 2014 or something, and dabbing him with dabbing him out with a bunch of stuff of ours and him dabbing us out with a sift and stuff. And, yeah, it was super, super cool to meet him and 
chill with him and try his product. And at that time, he was, I think that was like when they just won his first cup. I think they came to Denver and won two cups or something that, and like just starting to like crush and stuff. And it was super cool. So I definitely still look up to him. We still like DM back and forth, you know, like new tech and stuff, but you talk and stuff. Uh, super good people. Definitely still look up to, you know, my old boss, Nikati. You know, definitely always will have so much respect for him. Uh, there's some people in Colorado, you know, like 710 Labs, uh, Laser Cat. Always look up to like those guys because, you know, they do it on a crazy level production of, you know, doing things which put out fire product and at a huge level. It's super cool to see some of those people in Colorado, you know, astronauts. He makes great, great product out here on California. There's a lot of people that crush it out there. The Ati Hash, that whole like, they crush it. Um, yeah, there's, there's a lot of there's a lot of people that you know. I, I'm like, I, you know, you just see like new people that come on and like all of a sudden they like try something new and like they're making insane product. And it's just it's cool to see like so many people making uh, solventless hash now. Like you know, when I got into it five years ago, it was kind of like people were like, oh, are you like trying to like make solventless hash or like it was like and it was it was just it's cool to see the whole change and everybody making it nowadays and everything evolving so quick. Yeah. And do you think it'll continue to gain popularity? Yeah, definitely. I think it will. Like, you know, I think as people really care about what they put in their body and just like learn, you know, like we don't really have much studies or anything on like what smoking, you know, BHO or even smoking, you know, like rosin or melt or anything really does to our body long-term or anything. So I think as, as people like start to care and stuff, it I think it'll gain popularity. And, and like, I don't know, like I used to smoke a lot of BHO and stuff. And as I've like really only smoked too much rosin nowadays, it's hard to go back. Like, I think it's like d- different terps and stuff in the BHO. It makes it, I get choked up by it really hard. So it's like, now I just only smoke rosin because it's like hard to smoke BHO. So it's funny how your body became kind of, or everybody's body becomes accustomed to whatever. Yeah, almost, you know, like. exactly. And, like, I know a lot of people that just, you know, started smoking rosin for, like, a few months and then they're hard to go back. And it's just, like, more and more people do that. And yeah. Yeah. Going back to what you were saying about, you know, processing material for friends of yours or, I guess, maybe people that you knew while you were still working with Essential, kind of, like, mm-hmm. on your personal side. Did any of those relationships, I guess, continue into your new project or... Are you working, I guess, with new people or new farms? Kind of both. Yeah, I'm definitely still like working with some people that I've been working with for a long time. And yeah, there's always new people. There's as like, I think as rosin and, you know, like melt becomes more popular, more people want to turn their product into that. Like they see that like, you know, that they can get so much for rosin and they can only get so much for their BHO. They'd rather turn it into rosin than it just becomes more and more people there's there's a lot of product out in Colorado you know there's a lot of good growers and stuff out here so it's just as as that changes and as the like market changes towards that yeah there's just a lot of people wanting to turn their product into solving this and what do you think it's I guess more valuable I mean I, I don't know like I think it's just like the market you know like it's, it's definitely you know it's just like based off of what people pay. I remember back, you know, selling $25 grams, you know, like 
you know, when I first started and I, I thought that was pretty good. And then like somebody was like, dude, you can get like $60 a gram for your stuff. And I was like, wait, no, no way. And I was like, all of a sudden, yeah, it was like worth that just because, you know, you know, people were willing to pay that. So it was rarity at that point. And like, then the price kind of set and then it's, you know, definitely dwindled, but you know, it was just, I think it was such a rarity at one point that there's only so many people doing it only so many people doing it good that is worth it. And, you know, for it to be viable, you know, it's got to be worth a good little bit of money just because the yields aren't, you know, aren't quite what they'd be with the hydrocarbon extract. Right. Um, and the strains, you know, you got to be so much more selective with what strains you run. So a lot of people that, you know, grow for BHO or grow for flour, they try and run their stuff and it's just like not viable at all. So I think, you know, that drove the price up a little bit too. And so, so obviously you think that uh, the people that have kind of moved over into wanting to have their material processed in a solventless manner are specifically growing for it now. Yeah, a lot of a lot of the growers I work with, or all the growers I work with, only grow for solventless. You know, they dry a few plants for their head or something, but you know, their garden is dedicated towards solventless. And like, I kind of make that, you know. A, a thing nowadays if I'm going to work with somebody I want to make sure that they are growing for solventless like growing the right strains that's a huge thing so, you know you got to make sure that that's the right genetics before you move along because that's that just plays such a huge role with mechanical extraction yeah and so I kind of wanted to get into that a little bit and just ask you you know when you start working with someone what are some of the things that you look for and I mean, like, what's your standard as to, you know, what your process and what yeah. you want? So, like I said, when I worked with this engine, you know, I kind of had, like, a data log of how, you know, a lot of strains have done in the past, you know. So it's, it's like I can, you know, kind of, if somebody tells me they've had this strain or something, you know, I may have experienced it before, and I can kind of go based off that or... There's just, there's so much information out there nowadays. I can like, if I've seen somebody that's ran it on IG or something, I can reach out to them and be like, Hey, like, how did this do for you? You know, like, and it's not like that their pheno is going to do the exact same for me or like my buddy's pheno is the same as what they're running or anything, but you know, it gives you a ballpark. Yeah. There's at least a potential there. Yeah, exactly. And then it's, you know, I always ask them, you know, how, when they're like trimming it, if it's like a wet resin like if they like notice like when they rub it or anything if it's greasy wet really i'm like you know i'd rather not run that you want a dry sandy consistency on the plant you know you want to be able to remove those heads easy when it's just that oily slick it's just all those turps and oils that just it's like a slick trap and you can't get the heads off and and so like you know it's definitely just experience i guess you you definitely so I ask, you know, ask them what strains they're growing, what methods they're using. Yeah. yeah. And so you almost sounds like in a way you've become kind of like a consultant in sorts of like working with the growers and making sure that what they're growing is like viable. Yeah, definitely. I think, you know, that, that's, I think as you work with people, they definitely learn that, you know, and I look back and yeah, some of the people that I've worked with in the past, you know, they do a good job of selecting what they're, they're looking for now, you know. It's you learn, you know, you learn that this strain doesn't do well, and you're like, oh, when I was trimming this one up, I noticed like he falling all over, it. and you're like, you know, that's a good sign, <laughs> right? Yeah. And do you also feel like some of it is just that 
there's just so many more genetics out now and maybe even some geared specifically to making hash. Yeah, definitely. I think uh, that's I'm really excited for like the next five years of genetics is just like more people that know what they're breeding for, like looking for, are going to start breeding more strains specifically for hash, which it's definitely going on now, you know, people. And so, yeah, I think that plays a huge role. And then just people knowing what to select for. Like if I was growing for flour and you're going for hash, you know, you're looking for really two totally different things, you know, like some of the strains that, you know, throw down in flour definitely throw down in hash. But, you know, a lot of the time you're looking for a totally different thing. A lot of the strains that throw down in hash, if you're growing for flour, you would never think to grow it because it's all box-tailed out or, you know, just not filled out. It doesn't have a ton of, you know, a ton of weight or anything, but it's covered in trichomes and, you know, you can break them off and they're super accessible. Right. So. Yeah, it's intriguing how that varies and, like, mm -hmm. how those different factors kind of play into whether it works or not. Yeah, exactly. Because, yeah, you have something that, yields two percent and you have something that yields six percent you know it's definitely a lot of a big difference in what the value is off of that yeah, which i still have people you know that grow things that yield low that they like smoking on it like you know i like smoking on it so i'll run it but right yeah it's just hard to see the you're like oh wait this is worth this much if it yields this <laughs> and it's worth this much if it yields this it's right like, why would you even mess with those strains yeah, and there's just there's a lot of genetics out nowadays that you know do really well, so it's it's exciting. It is. I think one of the guys actually doing some interesting work is from Colorado, Harry Palms. I think he goes by. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, their their gear is great. I I watch a lot of the owning gear now. He's on his own venture, doing his own seeds and stuff, and yeah, all a lot of his gear does really well. Um, I run a lot of a lot of the papaya crosses. They're all, I love the papaya terps, so it's cool to see all the variants of that. And yeah, a lot of the new stuff he's running. He runs hash himself, you know, he makes melt and rosin, and so like he knows what to look for. So it's great when breeders are like make, make hash as well. Right. It's, it's like, oh, they know what exactly. They're like, oh, I selected this pheno because it dumps, and I like this one because it's going to add this. Yeah, and, I mean, you know, it's, yes. it's totally different when somebody's like, Oh yeah, this male or this female, I like it because it throws down in flower. You know, like if, if it throws down, you know, when you're breeding for hash, it's yeah, it's awesome, and he definitely does a great job for that. So yeah, that is cool when you're able to do both things. I mean, because like you said, you you know what you're looking for, mm -hmm. and then like a lot, like I remember like one of his m more popular strains, the Tropicana cookies. I mean, the first time somebody gave me that, if they hadn't talked to him. And like asked him how it ran, I would have gave it back to him because it was like very purple weed that smelled like tangy and like looked like cookies. And I was like, okay, first of all, like tangy usually doesn't do well. Purple weed usually doesn't do well. And like I, I don't even want to mess with this. And like I hit him up, and they're like, no, like we talked to the guy, and it, it does pretty well, you know. And like now we washed it, and it was like purple hash, the purple, you know, purple melt, the the craziest flavor, and that's one of my favorites strains to smoke now you know it's it's crazy because yeah if we didn't if i didn't know that like i said i would have just gave it back yeah and it, i guess it's hard to know like well like you say i'm sure you have a general 
or a good idea as to how things are going to wash. But there probably are surprises like that. Oh, yeah. A lot of the time, you know, like, I've definitely, like, wanted to give material back or something. Like, ah, this isn't going to wash well. And then, like, wash it. That was super well. Or, or vice versa, you know. You get some amazing looking material and almost nothing comes off of it. You know, it's, it's crazy. Yeah, it's it's kind of a unique aspect somewhat to, I feel, water hash in, in part is that, mm-hmm. you know, with the hydrocarbons, it's like, I don't know a ton about them. But I think it's pretty much almost like, for sure, you're going to be able to get the majority of the oil off that plant. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And in this case, it's just kind of finicky. Yeah. And and it's all about like how these particular trichome heads react to this environment, to the agitation and whether they come off or not. (laughs) It's just, it's funny. It's almost like Russian roulette really. Yeah. No, it's crazy. That's why. Yeah. A lot of times if I'm working with a new grower or anything, take small amounts of new strains or anything just because you don't want to run a lot of something get nothing back yeah like i I, we've definitely i remember back when i worked with essential we we ran a batch some great looking fresh frozen and i ended up with like a dab like not even a gram of hash off of like a few thousand grams wet wow i was like how did i turn this into nothing I think I didn't even, like, it doesn't even make sense. There had to have been something there. but That's great. I mean, I guess it just, in some instances, it just, like, stays on the plant. Yeah, it seems like, it seems, like I said, with, like, those oils and terps and just, like, it's real sticky and greasy. It almost, it just seems like sticks on there. And a lot of strains, like, a lot of people don't know what to look for when they're looking for trichomes. Like, Purple Punch, for example, or something, it it looks like it's super frosty, but it's, like, mostly trichome stock like there's a little tiny head on the end of it if you look with a microscope so like a lot of people are like oh my god this is the frostiest weed and you like look at it and you're like i mean it's really hairy weed like it's got like trichome like stalks everywhere but there's nothing on the end for me to knock off like you know right and it's just a lot of growers look at like oh man it looks so frosty and it's just it's the different type of frost well like you said it you know it has to be almost like at a at a microscopic level, essentially. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's I have a lot of my water growers that I, I you know I tell them to look you know get scopes and stuff. And when we used to work at Essential, we had you know a scope that took hooked into the computer, and we'd scope all the material, like look at everything. You know, right? and that was also great info. You know, you look at these trichomes, and you're like, this is what I'm looking for. You know, this is like this is the type of trichome that washes super well but this is there's nothing here or you know there's looks really frosty but there's just nothing you know right and you see a lot of those things and how they do it's just yeah and so when you do a test wash when you're working or potentially working with someone new mm-hmm. like how i guess big would that be or what would be enough for you to um usually like 1500 to 2000 grams wet. okay so like which would like equivalent like like 2,200 grams wet is usually like a pound dry, like roughly. So, and from that, you definitely would have an idea. Yeah. Yeah. If you want to keep working with it. Mm-hmm. All right. Cool. Well, um, so what kind of goes into a typical day for you, I guess, in regards to hash making? 
So like usually a typical day is you know I get up early, get my room, start cooling, turn on the AC, the cool bot, everything, get it cold, and you know I usually do like a batch, like one batch, you know, in the morning, and then usually pull in another batch out of the other, the freeze dryers and stuff, and so I squish in the afternoon. So yeah, it's usually about a day for me. Okay, cool. Mm-hmm. And then I guess when you're washing the material. What's your method of agitation? So if I'm going for like full mount, like, you know, like heads, um, like 90 or anything, I'll, I'll hand wash. And then I usually agitate with the machine after that for second and third or fourth and stuff. If I'm going for just rosin, I'll usually machine agitate. Okay. Uh, yeah. And then are you separating? Well, obviously you're doing it for the hash. You're separating mm-hmm. them. But with the rosin, are you just collecting it all? In one bag, or um, depends on like what the grower wants. Honestly, okay. Like, um, some growers want ninety rosin. Some growers want full spec rosin. You know, I, I definitely give them the option. You know, it's their material. Like, yeah, it's so, just whatever they. Yeah. So if I'm going like if I'm collecting a full spec, I just run like a one, you know, a two twenty, a one sixty bag, and then a forty five bag underneath that, and then twenty five bag underneath, just to catch anything else below. So like. And then my full specs, 45 through 160. So it just was all collected in the 45 bag. But if I'm going for melt, I definitely run like a 45, the 73, 90, 120, 160. Okay. And how, I guess to whatever degree you, you can like talk about, like how essentially the, the farmer and the hash maker come to kind of an agreement to work together? Or like, how does that usually work? Usually... Usually, like, they contact me and, you know, say, you know, I have material. Would you like to wash it? Like I said, I usually, you know, ask them, like, what strains they're growing, what methods they're using, how much material would they have, you know, kind of make sure it's worth my time, make sure it's the right strains and stuff. Then go from there, you know, like, like, can I check out the grow? Like, you know, I want to see the material. So, you know, just kind of go from there. A lot of the people I, I work with, I've definitely known from the past, you know, just living in Colorado for four years and going to events and stuff. You know, most of the people I work with have definitely like had past relationships with them or something. So it's like you know, it's not like some random dude hit me up. Right, right. Yeah. And then I guess how do you decide like what part of the material stays like under the Mile High brand and like what goes back to the farmer? I guess how that. Um. Usually, so usually I work with like do like splits with the grow with the farmers. So like I get like a certain percentage of their product and then they get the majority of it back. Right. And so and they usually either like they want it branded under Mile High Melts or, you know, they don't. They you know. Right. So it's kinda and then like it's gotta, you know, stand up to a certain quality before it, you know, gets the label. But Yeah. No, that's cool, man. I was always curious like I guess kinda how that mm-hmm. worked, you know. Mm-hmm. And so with your washing, are you using like filtered water? Yeah. Or? So yeah, I have like an RO, like you know, RO with the the deionizing you know station on it and stuff. And so yeah, I just like have a big res set up next to my washroom and just fill that up, and then from the res fill up you know my buckets or machines right. or whatever I'm washing them. Do you think it like makes a difference? Can you, for example, taste water that isn't maybe filtered that hash is being made with i i don't know like i've 
I've definitely like tasted hash and been like that tastes funky maybe is that you know but it's never like this water tests dirty at this and then I smell right. hash and it you know tastes funky so it's like it's hard to tell if that's exactly what you're you know but like definitely like at essential you know we where you stayed up on, you know, making sure our water was very filtered. And, you know, I always make sure my water is very filtered. So, yeah, no, I mean, I'm sure that's the the right practice. So I, I, don't, I don't know if I've like, you know, like knowingly like smoked, like, okay, this water is pretty, <laughs> this hash is, you know, made from that. So right. let's see how it tastes. Yeah. I'm, I'm always curious about that, you know, with I, I'm sure. I mean, like, I mean, like, you know, I, I know people up in the mountains that, you know, wash off of, like, well water and stuff, and it's like, probably, like, high on, like, they didn't filter it, probably, like, high in certain minerals and stuff, and, like, I would think you would taste that somehow, you know. I wouldn't see how you couldn't if it's being, like, vaporized on your nail with the dab. I would think you would be able to taste certain things. Yeah. I mean, I guess the same goes for the ice, you know. Yeah. Right, so, yeah, I was, I'm curious, but, uh-huh. yeah. And then, do you... It's kind of a random question, but like, I've always wondered if people ever kind of mess with the the bag order or like the rotation of bags, and if there would be any kind of purpose to that with any kind of particular strain or something. So yeah, like I definitely like if I've washed like a certain product before, like I, I used like some people's certain strains will wash high heavy in like the one twenty say. And like that's where their like full melt is. I'll definitely run like a 150, say, instead of a 180 bag or a 160 bag because I know that 150 bag will clean up that 120 a little bit better than the 160. Okay. So it would make it a little bit cleaner. All right. Or like if I know that some strains will throw down more melty hash in the 73 or something, I'll run a 73 instead of instead of you know collecting my 90. It's the you know I'll know that so. That's about like the only variations. Okay. Yeah. And that makes sense for sure. Mm-hmm. And like I've had, you know, like people's 180U be really melty. And so like, uh, they were like, oh man, I wish I could have had like a 190 or 200 <laughs> that could have cleaned up the 180 a little bit better because the heads were so big, you know, and it's just like certain strains and certain people's material, how they grow. It's just like different trichome sizes, you know, makes different ratios of heads and yeah. melty hash. I guess like when when they're pulling, yeah, when they're pulling, yeah, everything, all these it different all plays factors. With so many different factors. Yeah, it's it's kind of interesting how they all interplay with each other, mm-hmm. and when you see, I guess you could call them the results. Yeah, yeah, right. When you're pulling uh, the different microphone sizes. Yeah, exactly. And so then you said you use the rest of the day essentially to to squish, mm-hmm. and. I wanted to talk to you about your process essentially and like how do you go from hash to rosin, you know, what I guess kind of equipment you are you using and yeah. then what are you doing on the equipment? Yeah. So I I use a pure pressure press. I've always not always used one of those. I mean back in the day we used I used to, you know, use a hair straightener and then we used a D nail press and then we used a rosin technologies press and then we, um, yeah, we worked with Pure Pressure kind of with designing their, like, dual pressure mod. So, like, you can basically, with their old press, you could start at a low PSI and then have, like, a toggle. and You could increase pressure over time. So, like, with super melty hash, you could start really low PSI, so it's barely squeezing on it. 
let it get all melty and then up your pressure and it just like that helped it blow out a ton so i've been using that press for you know three probably three years now and then i got one when i you know started my own thing and i now we have our new automated system which it makes your workflow it's awesome it you can like set what pressure it goes to and like for how long so basically you can like tell it to start at like 10 psi for 10 seconds and then go up to 20 psi for 20 seconds and then go up to 40 psi for 10 seconds and then you know you can tell it to do whatever and then use pressure buttons i can like be prepping my i can be prepping my like parchment paper or collecting my last presses while the machines pressing my rosin right and then go back and collect and so it's just yeah it, it's great their their machines are awesome they're workhorses you can get through so much material in a really short amount of time it's crazy I've, we've you know i've used quite a bit quite a bit of different presses i used to sasquatch for a while and stuff and like you know i just i really like how the workflow on the pure pressure it's just it really they do a great job of designing you know their software and everything it's just it's super smart they they make you know they they do a great job they make hash you know they they have great hash knowledge and stuff so i think they've definitely taken that yeah that seems to it. be the case in various situations where like people that were or are making hash uh-huh. yeah same with like sasquatch you know like soil ground like he you know that he changed everything with you know the, the, the evolution of rosin and just uh but yeah, and then you know he's using that knowledge and everything, and they're making you know great products. Their presses are awesome. Yeah, it's awesome to see. Yeah, and so that initial like setup on those automations, how long would you say like that process takes? You know, creating these patterns or these increments in time um, and pressure. So I kind of like I'll see how I'll usually do like one press. My like you can definitely you don't have to do the like recipes or anything. You can do like your own. And I'll kind of see how the stuff presses and then kind of go based off of that, you know, just by watching how the hash is pressing, how melty it is, how quick it's juicing, like, you know, so I'm just like, and then kind of base a base, like my recipes off of that. Right. Like, you know, I kind of have a knowledge of, I like to go this pressure for this long. I only like, like to press for this certain amount of time. So I need to, you know, make it so many. And is that like something you calibrate per run or like, per strain or usually like yeah per strain or like yeah because it's or like per run because you know it's i mean it's basically the same thing because like each run is a strain i usually do like strain specific runs so it's like each strain you know to kind of a little bit different okay yeah and no, i i just i guess well, meant like in the sense of like if you ever work with the same strain from the same grower but like from a different batch yeah and like react the same or it, it does but like you'll have variations you know same grower same strain you know and there's definitely variations batch to batch you know yeah. a lot of people expect everything to be the same every time and like you know there's just you know there's so many variables like we were saying that come into play you know they they change up the slightest thing and you know it could make a big difference in the end product yeah that's Definitely one of the like, unique things um, I think about cannabis. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm sure there are other plants um, that maybe have some of these characteristics, but like, yeah, it's 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 really kind of intriguing. Earlier, your friend was here who also used to work at Essential mm-hmm. Derps for Terps, right? Yeah, but on Instagram yeah. and Taylor. Yeah, Taylor, yeah. and we were kind of just talking about that in a way, just how like so incredible 
how many like variations, how many like different yeah. profiles and that you can see from like the same strain or even the same cut, you know, like I'll, I'll see the same cut of this one plant from three different growers and they're all very different, you know? Right. It's crazy. Yeah. It's cool to see. Yeah. Speaking of, you showed me that, was it a papaya cake? Yeah. The papaya cake. That, yeah. And that was from who? Um, so I had, I had some from We Pray Love and then I had some from Kyle 710 and then I have some ran by Dangle Hash from Coal Creek and they're all different phenos and they're all very different. Yeah. They all are very, very different. You wouldn't even really, you know, think they're the same strain or anything. And, you know, a lot of people that don't understand the phenotype thing that there is variations that, you know, they're like, oh, my papaya cake. I expect papaya cake to be like this. And then, you know, they smell something else and they're like, oh, this isn't papaya cake. Right. This is just a different pheno, you know, it's very different. Yeah. And like you said, some of them just are going to bring more variation within Mm -hmm. that gene pool. Yeah. You know? Yeah, definitely. And, you know, how, how, like, how much work the breeder did into it, you know, if they like did, you know, like the F2s and like, I don't really know too much about breeding, but, you know, if they like put in, you know, the time to back you know, do the back process and stuff to really stabilize a strain. There might only be a few phenos, but, you know, with a lot of the new strains, people are, you know, just this cross to this, you know, once. And it, there's some big, vari- there can be some big variations, which it, it's cool to see because, you know, there's, you see a lot of different expressions, expressions yeah. of, you know, the different strains, you know, a lot of those like papaya crosses, you see a lot of like from the very, you know, like, on the papaya cake, you you really see you see super heavy cake ones to super heavy papaya ones to ones that you don't even really know where it got its funk from or like anything. Yeah, that the one in particular that kind of stood out to me just because it was so different uh-huh. was the maybe from Kyle Seven Ten was the that? Coal Creek, the yeah, Coal Creek the one that yeah the um, that one is it's a crazy one it definitely it's, yeah it's and like I see it's just like got a cheesy funk to it with some like rotten fruit and like you know i don't really smell cheese in either wedding cake or papaya so you're like where does it get this rotten cheese funk from it really really just smells like a like an aged yeah borderline bad cheese it's like it's like wine and cheese is what i say it's like funky (laughs) cheese with a little bit of like grape fruitiness with like some papaya like yeah yeah it was pretty awesome Uh, it's a very very different yeah Different profile. Definitely. And, you know, so you you brought up the three different phenos of that plant from Uh the three different farms. Yep. And not only that, but they were like in three different consistencies Uh as well. And so that's something I I really wanted to kind of talk to you about because, like I mentioned earlier, you seem to really kind of be in the spirit of like experimenting. Yep. And so once you make this rosin, and what temperatures are you typically pressing rosin at? So it definitely varies, like, strain, too. I know it's, like, some strains you got to go hotter, just, like, it's, you know, they want to be hotter to come out. So it's, like, anywhere from 180 to, like, 210, 215, 220. Okay. Some strains, you know, like, you know, it definitely varies. And then, I guess, with the filtering of the hash, Uh we kind of talked about this a little earlier, about how when you first started trying, you were having some blowouts. Yeah. And how people are, like, Wrapping bags within bags now, essentially. Yeah. yeah. So I use, I use like rosin evolution, rosin bags. Those are like, you know, there's a lot of brands out there. Those are the ones I, I like. 
and I double bag everything. So like I, I bag it once and then I make sure to like put my second bag on there and I put it the seam like facing the other way. So just in case any hash goes through the one seam, you know, it catches and then doesn't go through the other seam because it's crazy. Like a little bit of hash will just find a hole to go through <laughs> and it ruin your whole press. And it's, it's so frustrating. Blowouts are the worst. And what size are those bags? Are they the same um, size? Yeah. Well, so you can get different sizes for like, I use like the two and a half by four inch, I believe. And then they are, I just started using the 15 micron. I was using the 25 micron screens. They just came out with 15 microns. I ordered some, so I've just been playing with those ones. Okay. And so it's a 15 within a 15? Yeah. Yeah. All right, cool. And so, yeah, so once you make this rosin, mm -hmm. what are some of the things that you're doing with it? Because, you know, I keep up with your feet, but I've also like gone through your feet to talk to you about, you know, things yeah. today, essentially. And you have like a ton of different like terminology for a lot of this, these new consistencies, uh -huh. you know? And so I wanted to kind of ask you about it and just kind of see what some of these, or I guess what some of the differences are that you see between the processes and yeah, like the definitely. end results on, on these, you know? Definitely. So first let me ask you, like, what do you think pushing the hash into rosin and now pushing the rosin into kind of a different thing mm -hmm. does for the resin? Or for people, I guess, consuming the resin? It definitely changes. Like, you know, I definitely notice, like, a difference when I'm smoking. Every different consistency, you know, like, fresh-pressed rosin to, like, just buttered-up rosin to, like, you know, like, the cold whip or, like, you know, the, the wet butter or the sauce or, like, the sugar. You know, you definitely get different expressions through each of those. And, you know, I think, you know, the what comes from that or what that comes from is just the different things you do to the resin to get to those, you know, achieve those consistencies. So like to get like the applesauce or like the like sauce, you know, rosin sauce or anything, use like heat. So like I would press my rosin, put it in a jar, and then you take that jar, put it in some sort of like some sort of heating vessel or something, like an oven or a back oven or something, like 210, 220 degrees, and then you let everything melt down like the rosin, it changes. It's crazy. It changes. You see it go from every consistency from like sap to white, white butter to like dry butter to like wet butter to like bubbling to then it kind of like saps out and then you let the THCA crash out of it. And it's definitely changed from that. You know, you lose terps from the heat definitely, but other terpenes become more prevalent, I feel like. So it, it tastes different. Some strains definitely taste worse. Like you lose a lot of the good terpenes and a lot of things. And that's kind of why I moved away from making that when I was like first figured out and stuff. It was definitely fun to, you know, it's crazy to see crystals being grown in, you know, your hash. Like it's, it's one of the most rewarding feelings for sure. When you like go back out there the next morning, there's crystals all over in your hash. It's crazy. But, you know, it's definitely, it changes it a lot. And like to get to the sugar, you know, you, you wouldn't melt it down as far. You'd pull it out of the oven earlier before it gets like a full, you know, melted sap. So it crashes out a lot quicker. It doesn't, it doesn't, the THCA doesn't form as big or anything. And then like to get to the wet butter. So I don't really use much heat on that either. Like I'll take my rosin, so I press it, let it butter out. And then I'll try and whip a little bit of it. 
some strains will like just wetten up like so once it butters you can like basically just like whip it you know more and like i definitely find the least change out of that that process because you're not really using heat or anything you're just using a little bit of whip like a little bit of friction i feel like is what kind of wettens it up and i don't know personally i feel like the rosin smells and tastes better at that form than it does like in a sap or like a like a fresh press consistency or anything but you know that's definitely a personal opinion but so yeah and then if the strain won't like wetten up from the first whip i'll put it on a little bit of heat like slightly above room temp maybe like 90 to 100 degrees for like 24 hours and then whip it after that and it definitely that softens up and it gets like an ice cream wet consistency you know i really enjoy that right now i enjoy the look of it i enjoy like it stays wet it's it doesn't dry out i'm not a fan of like the dry rosin butter um you know it's a pain to dab it's a pain to get on your dabber it loses its flavor pretty fast i feel like there's something about once it's homogenized in, like a wet butter it retains a lot of like holds a lot of the flavor yeah and so do you work all the strains kind of the same way and then like you were saying depending on how each of them reacts you keep either working it that way or or changing it and then that's kind of also ending up in these different results yeah so again i like it's kind of up to the grower like okay. if they you know like most of them if they want I'll, you know i'll let them you know what consistency they want right. out of it and you know it seems like people want the wet butter just kind of like hype or you know like a hot product right now so that's what so people prefer that's what people prefer right now you know when i was the sauce first came out all the growers wanted sauce and you know it's just kind of like i definitely let them but if i i'll tell them you know like if it's a strain that i've sauced before and it was like you know it doesn't come out that well or like a strain that butters that like is a drier butter you know like some strains it's just hard to get them buttery like wet butter you know like they just want to be dry i think it's like a high thca level that makes it but um and so, like, I'll, I'll, you know, I'll usually warn them, be like, you know, we could keep this as a sap, you know, if you want, or, you know, it's not going to, might not come out how you want it. Right. Do it this way. And I've heard you use it a couple of times today, and then I've seen it, obviously, like, on social media, and I've heard it, but the term crashing, uh-huh. that refers to, for someone that, like, maybe doesn't know as much. Yeah. It's referring to what exactly? So it's referring to, like, the THCA in the solution, like crystallizing out or like becoming. So like when you're making the rosin sauce, like I said, it turns into almost a sap. And then the THCA left in the solution all like clumps up together and this becomes so pure that it like crystallizes. And that's like crashing is it crystallizing. So like, you know, there's different different ways to crash out a product like with uh like i said if you pulled it off the heat a little bit earlier it would be it would quickly crash out and it would make smaller smaller crystalline formations so it'd be more of like a sugar instead of like an actual sauce with actual diamonds and crystals right and like i asked you earlier thc is kind of the one that's most prone of the cannabinoids to do this discrystallization yeah so thca thca yeah so thca is like what, when you're like growing a plant, your THCA is the is what is grown on the plant. When it's heated, it becomes THC or delta nine THC, which is like activated. 
So that won't crystallize. The THCA crystallizes. So that's like when you're making the rosin sauce and stuff, you got to be careful with the heat because the heat is what will activate it and turn it into delta 9 THC, which won't crystallize. So you got to be like really careful not to activate any of like any of it or most of it. So the THCA remains and that crashes out. Right. And so this, I guess, heat that or level of heat that will activate it Mm-hmm. Is, I guess also what they call like decarboxylating. Yeah, exactly. So um, like that's like active, you know, like if you're making edibles or anything, like if you ate THCA, you're not going to get high from it. Your body, like it, it's, it has to. It has that acidic molecule yeah, tied to, to it. It has to be decarbed. So it has to be turned into THC. Right. Before you can, before your body can actually uptake it. Whatever. Yeah. And you, you guys were telling me something really interesting earlier about how when you go through these processes, uh-huh. you know, you're starting out with this resin essentially being THCA. Uh-huh. And as you heat it and you see those bubble formations sometimes, yep. it's actually releasing um, carbon dioxide, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. So like, that's like, it's, I believe it's carbon dioxide or it's oxygen molecule that it's losing. And okay. Like, so it's changing, it's like changing molecular form basically. And that's like what you're seeing going on when like you take a dab and it's like bubbling all over your nail and stuff. Right. Is you're seeing that conversion. Okay. And so when you're heating it up, whether it's in these ovens uh-huh. or on the pads, is that when you see it bubbling up like that, is that basically what's happening? Um, it's yeah, that's like the start of it. So that's like, you got to be careful with like not letting it bubble out too much and not like, you know, so it's definitely like playing that fine line. Of. Yeah, and you showed me earlier some uh, product that, for example, you said had gone essentially over like its heat limit, mm-hmm. and it almost became like a sap-like, yeah, like a distillate-like consistency. Which, like, a lot of people are using that right now for like pens or anything. You know, like you can definitely like make that into pens or you know other products, right? But to grow the crystals. It's really all about, like you're saying, kind of tiptoeing this threshold. And outside of that, it's still probably like profile dependent yeah. on how it's going to react. Definitely. Yeah. It's crazy. Like, that's another crazy thing that's really cool is like just the variations of like formations and like how it forms and how like how long it takes and everything is it's different with all the different strains. And it seems like the terpene levels and all that play a huge role in it, which, yeah, I wish I knew more about, like, like on a scientific level, like, what's actually happening. Right. But No, but, yeah, it's, it's intriguing. Yeah, it's um, really cool. And, like, it's, it, like you said, it's just, like, experimenting. Like, I've always, that's something I've always, you know, done, even when I was a little kid and stuff. It's just, you know, something cool to do with, like, hash, which, you know, that's what I spent all my time doing, so might as well. Yeah, that's why I, I keep saying, man, it's like this genuine sense of uh, almost curiosity yeah, exactly. that, that comes off yeah. from you. Uh-huh. Because um, it's like, it's just, it's, it seems like the limit just keeps being pushed. You know, it's like, what's what's going to happen next? It's just, it's crazy. Yeah. It's so cool. Yeah. I mean, we were just saying earlier, like, it's come so far uh-huh. in like 10 years. In another 10 years, it's like, just, I don't know. <laughs> you know? Yeah. No, um, it's it's going to be, it'll be interesting seeing what you know what the next big changes and 
the extraction probably. And going back to the crystals, I had a question about a post you made a while back when I think you first started kind of doing it. Uh-huh. And you were, I can't remember the, the term that you used, but it was almost like seeding this rosin with a hydrocarbon. Okay, yeah, yeah. So uh, I just, that, at that point, that was like when I was first making the rosin sauce and stuff, and I was talking to a lot of my funny buddies that make BHO, and I was like, you know, how are you getting these like crazy big crystals and like how, like, how do you achieve this? Like, what can I do? Well, you know, what, what, what type of changes can I make to my process to like maybe get some big crystals? Cause it's just, it's cool to see. And a few of them are like, yeah, like I seed my jars. So it's basically like you take a crystal formation and you put it in your jar and everything will around it will crystallize. It's kind of like, how like if rosin, if one little part of your rosin starts to butter it, all just starts to butter around it you know so like at that point i took yeah i was taking like a bho crystal and putting it a bigger bho crystal putting it in my rosin and then letting the thca basically all crystallize around that thca crystal yeah that's pretty crazy yeah and it was it was cool it was like just like you said just curiosity yeah experimenting yeah because now you're able to do that without having to put the hydrocarbon in yeah anyways yeah and like that was even like at that point like it was I, w- I just did it that one time and it, like it definitely it, I got chunkier crystals than I've ever gotten out of anything else like it was it was cool but I haven't like done it again or anything since was, you know but it's definitely like sounds like a chain reaction uh-huh right like whether it's solventless or hydrocarbon induced I guess in this case yeah it's like this crystallization happens like I think it's just like it just it's spreads. A, yeah, similar like probably it's THCA at that point. You know, it's just pure THCA. It doesn't matter if it's like right. what it's made from or anything. That's you know. And so that's another thing that you toyed with as well, right? Making like THCA essentially yeah. from rosin. Uh huh. So yeah, that's like another another like whole different, I guess, consistency or product is the THCA isolation that you can do with rosin. So basically, you take your rosin and you repress it after it's buttered up. It basically, so like I said, like product crashing out the THCA like crystallizes or becomes like solid. So then, what you're doing with the THCA isolation is you're putting that in a rosin bag using heat and pressure, usually lower heat than like what you normally would have pressed it at, like 140 to 160 or something. And then, basically, all the other cannabinoids and the terpenes flow out of the bag and the thca that became a solid stays behind in the bag and so you're left with like basically you know like a isolated thca product which then that thca product can be i guess used on its own or like reintroduced and made into sauce or something yeah so then what we would do is like it comes out like a white powder like or like a white like chunk basically and then like this was before we were making it before like the jar tech or anything. So like at that point we would then melt down that white powder into like basically like shatter. I would like ball it up into like a big ball and then break it down to make it look like crystals right. and then like reintroduce the turf fraction just to like basically make, you know, like stuff that looked like it was sauce, like crystals and turps, Yeah, which it was, but it's not like actually crystals, you know, they're not naturally formed. But it was like still a, a THCA, a chunk of THCA in a solution of terps. So yeah, 
yeah, it's cool. It's, at that time, you know, it's just like something else to like totally play with and like, you know, see what you can do. And, you know, it's definitely the consistencies that like the BHO guys and stuff, I think the rosin and everything's kind of always just emulated, you know, what's hype and BHO and stuff, you know, the diamonds became really big and then everybody kind of tried to make diamonds with, you know, solidness and stuff. And then the batters became, you know, pretty popular again. And, you know, everybody's going back to, you know, the wet cold, the wet batter again. So it's, yeah, I think it's just kind of, kind of trying to emulate that. The hydrocarbon yeah. world in a way. Uh-huh. Yeah, because yeah. it's, it's just cool. Like, I've always, I've never made hydrocarbon extracts or anything. I used to smoke a ton of them and stuff. And I've just always, it's, I really enjoy the look of them. You know, it's it definitely makes a very pretty, appealing product. You know, the crystals are crazy looking. You know, really wet. Butter is really pretty. Yeah, and it's interesting how it's kind of influenced essentially water hash and mm-hmm. like what it's kind of become. Yeah, you definitely. know, people people pushing to to be not only on par with like look. Yeah, but also with obviously with the effect. Uh huh. And then. I don't know, maybe to to a certain degree, even more like flavorful. Yeah, exactly. Because like for so long, I feel like hydrocarbons were looked at as a superior product. And like, you know, it was more, more, it had more flavor, it got you higher, you get a higher yield, you know, why would you even want to mess with like a solvent product, you know? And then it's like, it's cool to see like people are like, oh no, wait, I smoke this and I get really high and it's a great high and it's really, really flavorful, you know? It's definitely like, like I said, like when you're extracting with hydrocarbons, I feel like you definitely are able to pull a more wide range of terpenes because like there's a lot of water soluble terpenes and stuff you lose to the water and just lose to the heat when you're pressing it with rosin, you know, there's just different, different things being lost in a process that you're so hands on it and you do so many things to it where like with, you know, BHO, you, you know, you extract it, put it in a jar and let things happen or, you know, or with, you know, there's just a lot less things going on right so and like and you're pulling you know all the all the terpene or most of the terpenes with that solvent and then you know it's left in that solution so i definitely feel like it's yeah it's cool to see like rosin becoming on par with and like even people you know like it a lot better now you know in certain ways and yeah it's it's definitely cool to see yeah and like you said it's just all about the trends Uh uh-huh you know yeah stuff will become popular and then it won't and then something new will come along and then something old will become popular again. And, yeah, exactly. You know, but it's, you know, curious that like you said, through all these processes, there's a lot of terpene loss, right? To mm-hmm. some degree, whether it's in the water or the pressing or, but then when you smell a lot of these new textures, like the batters, yeah, they're very, uh, you know, strong. Yeah. They and smell I, really strong. And I feel like it's almost like, like I said, like you lose one terpene and like from that terpene being lost, this other terpene becomes way more prevalent. You're like, whoa. Right. I never even really smelled this because this other terpene was like affecting it in a certain way. And it's right. like, you know, I think, I think some terpenes are, you know, very, very resistant, you know, resilient. They don't want to, uh, they're going to be there. And so, uh, yeah, like I said, I think I think it's more of a change than anything. And do you think that by changing it into these new forms, the experience that the user has with that resin as opposed to if they 
had the same flower is going to be different. Not only on, in the sense of like, well, yes, it's you, uh-huh. either smoking hash or flower. Yeah. But just does it change it? You know, does it? I definitely think so. You know, like nowadays, I feel like people eat with their eyes and like, you know, like people, you know, the, that influences a lot, you know, like how things look and how things are instead of like, you know, it's, it's crazy. Even like in some of like the foods and stuff, you, you see something that's just like so beautiful and it's like really popular and stuff. And you try it, and you're like, that was really gross, but it's like super popular because it's so, you know, it's just like, it's, it's that thing right. and stuff. So I, I feel like that kind of almost with the same way. So, yeah. Yeah. And you were mentioning earlier, a couple of people kind of here in the Denver kind of Colorado scene, like the astronauts. Uh-huh. And you and I off air were talking about kind of like the community here. Yeah. And you were saying that the hash making community, at least within the uh, non-solvent or the solventless, is pretty tight knit for the most part. Yeah, everybody's everybody's super friendly. You know, a, a lot of us smoke each other's hash. We all like you know share tech and stuff. And I feel like that's why things evolve so quickly. You know, like uh, everything. You know, it's like somebody sees you post something and then they hit you up and they're like, hey, how did you figure this out? Like, you know, and it's even like even if you don't give them totally like the full answer, it's like gives them enough of that spark to like oh shit like this is like how to you know and it's just yeah it's it's cool like with like the whole like THC isolation thing when that came first came out you know it was like a bunch of us out here just like figuring it out sharing like oh we're doing this with that same with like the jar tech when that first came out you know there's certain you know like diet funk he definitely like you know shared everything was like you know this is what I'm doing this is how you can do it this is you know and it it really like pushed the game that much farther where it would have took, you know, if somebody didn't do that, it would have took years before, like, everybody was able to figure that out, you know, because it's like, not everybody's just going to stick a jar of rosin in them. <clears throat> like, you know, it definitely took, like, me seeing a jar of rosin that was, like, liquid and half crashed out, and I was like, how could I make my rosin liquid? I was like, I guess I could, like, melt it, and then maybe it'll crash back out the THA, and, like, so we just, like, took some rosin and put it in an oven and melted it down, and came back a day later and it was all like crystally and I was like what just happened and yeah it was and so like you know it's just like seeing those things and pushing you know and then it was like I shared that with people and then he shared that with every uh, people and then it's just like it just moves and it definitely keeps everything going and that's cool and that's why I, you know I definitely feel like everything's gotten so you know moved so fast in the solvent world it's like just information being so available on the internet. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And like, you know, like Matt Rise putting those, like, you know, his, on the forums way back, like, I, I, you know, on IG Mag, I read those way back and like it, you know, that was like really why, like, I, you know, I used to see his posts on like how clean his hash was and like, it was crazy. And then it was like, oh, there's a, a, a like a big, like literally like page by page, like pages of like what to do and how to make that. Like, and then, like, you know, it's it's crazy. And then people just doing videos and stuff. And, then, yeah, it's awesome. It's cool to see a community that that shares, you know. And, like, Soil Grown, like, you know, coming out with Rosin and, like, sharing that with everybody. Like, it's crazy. Like, you know, if, if he hadn't, like, really, like, shared that, you know, he could be making only one making Rosin and everybody would still be like, what the hell is this dude doing? Like, <laughs> You know, <laughs> I mean, finally somebody would figure it out, but yeah, you know, it's like, but yeah, 
and it's funny because you know Ozzy brought that up also. Uh-huh. It's like he released a pick that is probably like the most profitable summonless oh, product. A hundred percent. That honestly, around. like rosin coming around, I feel like was the biggest change in solventless becoming viable because that before rosin was out, you know, you'd wash for somebody and if they didn't grow great resin, they may only have a few grams of like full melt and then they would have a bunch of like edible grade or bowl toppers. And so they would have make a little bit of money off that full melt and they'd be stuck with all this other stuff that they're like trying to get rid of. And like, you know, and it was like all of a sudden rosin came out and you're like, you could turn that into something that's even just as valuable as the full melt. Right. Wait, what? And so it was just like, that's where, it really became viable for everybody. You know, that was where like all of a sudden we were, you know, getting much material from new people because they're like, Oh, now it's all viable. I'm not stuck with all this bull topper stuff. That, like, right. Is it's not melt. It's yeah. going to like go into rosin and it will melt. Yeah, exactly. And it, it that honestly, that changed everything. I, I really see that as like the biggest change in the solventless game is, is rosin, you know, and so, you know, that kind of leads me to ask you, it's kind of a tricky situation in a way for consumers, I feel like, uh-huh. in the sense that, you know, I don't know that every hash maker out there is, for example, appropriately, like, letting people know, like, what their product actually is. Yeah, definitely. You know, and so are some of these processes in, in a way, a way that somebody can I don't know what the term is, but, you know, make something that's maybe not that great seem a lot better than it is. And in some instances, you know, charge a consumer the price that corresponds to something that that necessarily isn't. Uh Do you think, I guess, basically this stuff needs to be labeled and does it need to be like super specific? Like this was the first wash. Mm -hmm. These are the micron ranges used. Yeah. I don't know. I, I'm definitely, that's definitely like a big topic right now, I think. And like, it's, it's an interesting one. I think things should be pretty labeled, but also I, I think like, you know, you should just, the hash should speak for itself kind of. But at the same time, like, I don't think like consumers should just buy it and have to like try it and not be what they want. So yeah, like, I, I don't know. Cause like, yeah, I definitely notice. I, I definitely think a lot of people are like, you know, putting out like, oh, this stuff all looks really good. Uh, let's call it all 90U. Because, you know, it's 90U rosin. Because it's all super fire, you know. And, like, for, like, people that will wash all washes 90U and put it as, you know, 90U rosin, which, like, people usually assume as first wash or first and second wash or, you know. So, yeah, I think there definitely should be a little bit more labeling. I probably should label my stuff a little bit better. I usually just put 90U or full spec, which my 90U is. First, first wash 90 through 160, and then um, sometimes the second wash, but it's definitely like graded. And then the full spec, like I said, 45 through 160. And then, so I I don't know, because like, yeah, I don't know, that's an interesting. Yeah, yeah. I just wonder, you know. But yeah, I definitely, like, like you said, um, are people like able to use these things to like hide, like make product? There's definitely like, you can make THCA out of anything that's buttered so like yeah you could make some really you could turn some like 
shitty stuff that's buttered out in the THCA. But at the same time, that THCA is just THCA at that point, you know? Like, right. it did come from, like, shitty product. But if you did it well enough, it's isolated to where it's, like, it's just THCA. So it's, I don't know. And, like, the first, second wash stuff and stuff, it's just, like, it's hard for, like, people, because, like, I know people that do their first wash, you know, like, do, like, one or one wash, basically, like, one or two washes. And it's, like, I know people that do, like, 30-second washes and, like, 16 washes. Right. You know, and it's, like, who would want a 14th wash? But if you only did (laughs) 30 seconds of washes. Right, seven minutes. Like, that's that's nothing, like, you know, like, but, you know, it's, like, all, all variations and, like, it's just, yeah, you know, there's so many different different things. And it's like, first wash, well, like, how hard did you beat it up? Did you, like, did you really beat it up? Did you, like, barely use any ice in the machine? Or did you, like, fill it up so it barely spun? Or, like, what, like, what is, what, like, you know? Yeah. It's like, what's what's first wash at that point? What's 90U? Like, you know, like, you know, 90U is 90U, but, like, you know, did you run a 120 over that? Did you? Right, that and that's one of the big things there, yeah. online. There's like, yeah, well, if you just pull the 120... Yeah, which like, but like, I feel like, you know, 90, 90 through 160, that's still 90 you, but like, because is 90 through 120 just 90 you? Because what if you have the new 104 back? Because then is 90 through 104 only 90 you now? Because now there's a different bag in between there. So is now it only the 104 through 90 going to be true 90? <laughs> it can get complicated. Yeah, it's just, it's really hard. That's why like, I just, it's like, if it's fire hash, it's, you know, it's fire hash. But well, and I guess at the same time, it shouldn't, you know, it's, it's hard. Cause like, and I know some people's, you know, like I, I smoke a lot of people's stuff that like you wouldn't, you know, it's like 25 U rosin or something. And it's like way more fire than somebody else's 90 U rosin. And it's right. Like, you know, it's like, it varies. Yeah. I'm sure there's a big like variance. And then the other thing is, I guess once you get to know maybe like a hash maker and their work and like uh-huh. you're acquainted with it, then well, you have a better idea of like what to expect. Yeah. You know, but like when you don't, I think it kind of takes like a leap of faith. Yeah. <laughs> Obviously as a consumer. Definitely. You know, to make. And it's, it's hard also when you're like sourcing material too, you know, cause like every grower is not the same, you know, I have, you know, you work with a grower, like I'll work with, like I said, like papaya cake and I have like somebody that's like, Oh, your papaya cake's my favorite. And right. it was like this papaya cake from this one grower. That's this one Fino and they get my papaya cake from this other grower. And they're like, Oh, what is this? Like, I don't like, that's like, well, yeah, it's, it's like, like not the same yeah. basically. Yeah. And it's like, it's hard. It's hard at that point. Cause it's like, I don't want to call it something different than papaya cake, but it's like my buddy, the person that grow it, it's papaya cake. Like it's, it's a not, different pheno. Yeah. yeah. And it's, it's, it gets hard at that point, you know, trying to get a single source code. Oh yeah. Yeah. I finally got some lights and stuff. And my, the buddy you just met, he's about to get us in the house. So. Yeah. That's something that I haven't really touched on is that, you always seem to be doing small personal grows mm-hmm. while you've been either with essential or I guess maybe even now. Yeah. Yeah. And has that, do you feel like that's helped you as a hash maker? Yes. And no, it's like, I guess it's hard to control a lot of the variables when you don't, not hands on with it. But at the same time, I get to work with some amazing growers that like, you know, 10, 12 years experience where I don't have any of that, you know, like, I definitely have grown before, but I don't know how to grow insane fire like some of these guys. <laughs> right. You know, so yeah. it's definitely, it's, it's cool to work with some of the you know, better growers around. So yeah, that yeah, is cool. It's kind of like pluses and negatives. You know? Right. And so 
you know, since you've been here for a while now and you've kind of seen it go from medical to rec and now been like, I guess maybe like four years or so. Uh-huh. Have you seen that there's been like any changes or any almost stabilization um, like to the market of cannabis or is it still just kind of up and down? It's pretty up and down. It's, it's honestly, it's, there's the market. There's a lot of, a lot of product out here. You know, it's not like Oregon where it's, I think it's, it's where Oregon, they have too much weed. Yeah, it's not, you know, it's not like that, but, you know, there's the prices on the legal side are definitely, you know, being driven down just because there's a lot of, a lot of grows out there nowadays, a lot of extract companies out there nowadays. Right. And with like the whole rec thing coming on board, it was great for like the whole, the whole like market stuff because before there was rec when it was only medical, you had to have a dispensary, like a storefront and a grow. Couldn't just have a grow or just have a storefront or anything and had to all be associated so now with like with rec and stuff you can have just a grow you know you can be a grow and just wholesale all your weed or you can be just a shop and buy all wholesale weed or you can you know just be an extra company and sell a whole you know and so it definitely like opened the door for a lot of a lot of new people because it's a lot to have a storefront a grow everything you know it's definitely a lot to handle so yeah, yeah there's, definitely been, there's definitely been a lot of changes, I think, with like the med to rec and stuff. And I, I definitely think the state kind of set it up to like where it's easier to be rec because, like, you know, they get a little more tax money off the rec stuff. So, like, you know, they definitely set it up. So it's kind of, you know, more companies want to go rec. But, you know, it's it's great. Yeah. It's, um, yeah. I think there's there's definitely like a stable or like stable market for like high end products, I feel like, you know. But like high end products will always kind of you know have their home. Yeah, I agree. Worth a I mean, amount, but I think people are always looking for the best to be. Yeah. you know. Yeah. And so, so there's always going to be that market for sure. Yeah, I think I, it might, might not be like a stay. huge market. Yeah, but I think it's big enough to. And there's definitely like I would think a lot of the connoisseurs would live in like you know want to live in like either like you know Colorado or like. California's, you know, somewhere where there's a lot of product, you know, so I would think there would be a decent market of, like, connoisseurs out here versus, like, you know, somewhere else. Yeah, and that leads kind of to a point that I've been thinking about, which was, you know, in this in these four or five years, how do you feel that, like, the public and, for example, people who work at dispensaries have become more aware of all the different types of solventless products that, that are available and, and have become more, I guess, educated in that sense. Because like you said, California definitely has, I think probably like, I don't know if I would say like the most, but a lot of the people there like are pretty knowledgeable about cannabis, you know, yeah. and, and hash in particular or whatever it may be. And so do you feel that that's growing here? Yeah, uh, definitely. I think like there's definitely like a few companies that are doing really good on like education and stuff like seven ten labs was, does a great job. They like, you know, they, anybody that hold that carries their hash or anything that sells their hash, they, they do a good job of educating, try to do a good job of educate, educating, you know, the, the butt tenders and their consumers. They, they do good like information posts and like, you know, just, you know, telling people about the product and stuff that most normal consumers wouldn't know 
and it's just like I don't know I, I have a hard time I always like find myself I'm like oh everybody knows that and then I'm like take a step back I'm like oh yeah no like I'm yeah because you like deal with hash small, every yeah. day no there's this small group of people that, like, <laughs> that really deal with this stuff knows this so you know it's definitely yeah the education and everything definitely it's so much better than it was like four or five years ago like because yeah nobody really knew you know what anything was or what you know how to smoke anything or how to make it or anything and now you see 20 new extract company you know extract solventless extract companies in denver and you know, everybody's consuming it and everybody knows how to you know how to smoke melt how to like press it out how to dab a little bit lower temperature you know just the things that the etiquette of that nobody really knew a little bit ago yeah i keep up with 710's page and you're right they do do a good job yeah of spreading some pretty good just like good education yeah way you know uh-huh and yeah i think that definitely helps at least inform people yeah and like, like yeah people can do whatever they want with that obviously. exactly exactly so that's cool and do you think that that's kind of a, a platform that you would use or do you do use social media as as well yeah i definitely probably be a little bit better about like yeah thinking like i've definitely thought about Definitely making a little more informational posts. I definitely kind of just post product. And, but yeah, it's definitely, it's a good platform because there's a lot of people there and you reach a lot of people. And like, you know, it's hard to reach your consumers any other way, I feel like, unless like a pamphlet on the jar or something or you're dealing with it in person, or, you know, which, yeah. And, you know, it's, I don't know, kind of interesting to me, like how you view people that, Maybe not only follow you, but like people that have your products, you know, like, are they, do you view them as like patients? Do you view them as? Um, I feel like I view them as like supporters. Okay. Yeah. Like, you know, somebody that enjoys my product. I wouldn't, because I mean, at the end of the day, I, I know not everybody's, you know, consuming cannabis for some ailment or anything, you know, a lot of people consume cannabis because it makes them feel good, you know, which I mean, I guess it would be some sort of, you know, I guess. Or but, yeah, but supporter. Yeah, a, I, I would definitely. Yeah, a supporter would definitely be the. And yeah. are they able to communicate? I guess with you through social media, um, and you know, do you ever? I guess maybe learn things from questions that they're asking, or view things maybe differently from things that they bring up. Yeah, like, definitely. It's good to like. Yeah, definitely see like your consumer's point of view because it's totally different than you know somebody making cash every day than somebody that buys hash you know, it doesn't have that knowledge of just like what goes into it or anything. So it's, it's always good definitely to like take their point of view into, into consideration, like learn from that. Right. Yeah. It's like I said, it's, it's easy for me to like think everybody thinks this way. And then it's like, Oh yeah, no, wait, I just have really hands on with this hash. So it's like a little bit different. Yeah. And I think what kind of makes your situation even more unique is that like, how quickly it seems that you you got into it, like once you moved here. Yeah, it was it was pretty crazy. Like I definitely when I moved out here, I like told everybody back home, I was like, I'm moving to Colorado, I'm gonna make salt less hash. Like this is what I'm gonna do. Like then everybody was kinda like, hey, cool, like uh uh-huh. <laughs> like, like yeah. And uh, I definitely talked to a bunch of people, I reached out to everybody on social media and stuff, the if they're hiring or anything and yeah, and then I moved out here, and I ran into, like, Nick at Durable Cure, and 
he invited me to some little like Puffco event that night and I went there and you know we talked then and definitely I just kind of fell into place I was working at Essential like two weeks after I moved down here like you know I was running their stuff like a month later running you know running machines and stuff a month or two later it's really yeah I feel like you know if you you really you can I feel like you can really manifest things you know if you really focus hard enough and really like work towards that you know you can make things happen yeah I mean it seems like it was the most coincidental but maybe not right yeah yeah exactly it kind of was just your path and so you kind of got just thrown into it uh huh and obviously Nick. Was he kind of like a mentor to you when it came to actually making the hash, or did you already have, I guess, some prior knowledge before going to Essential? Before I basically just read, like I said, on like Matt Rise's forums, and okay, stuff, and like you know, I had, I thought I had a good idea of how to make hash, so like the theory, like, mm-hmm. and and uh, you know, I definitely like you know had knew a little bit about it. But yeah, no, Nick definitely. It was Nick, and then the manager, my manager at the time, who's been who worked with Nick for like eight years, uh, Evan McGuire. Yeah, he, yeah, we definitely. He taught me basically everything. Um, him and Nick. I used to do like we used to do a lot of like Nick would have me come over and help his wash his homie's garden or something, and we would, you know, he'd show me new tips or like you know watch me wash and you know say this is you know make these changes and stuff. And, you know, it definitely, yeah, that and just working with so many material, so much material and so many different growers and stuff, you know, you really get a good concept of how to capture that resin. Yeah. He's definitely one of the guys who is kind of an OG amongst the new group of hash makers, mm-hmm. you know, and I don't know how, how long, I guess he had been really like into hash at that point. Um, I think for several years and yeah, then in California and then in Amsterdam and, mm-hmm. and then he moved out here. But I mean, technically, I guess back then, who else was around that was making saltless? Tricom heavy, you know, um, Jibs and Ken. They definitely, they were, they were crushing it as well back then. Um, I feel like then. And that was some of on. the stuff that you yourself were dabbing at the time. Oh yeah. Yeah. I used to smoke a lot of their stuff. I, yeah, I, I really enjoyed their product. They do a great job. They still do a great job. Yeah, they've been crushing it for ever. I see, you know, see them as OGs as well. They, they definitely some of the only people that I really see that used to make hash back when I was like way back when I used to follow, and they're still crushing out batches and still, yeah, still crushing it. It's awesome. Yeah, um, I mean, some technique has changed, and then mm-hmm. I think definitely the, the genetics have changed. Yeah, but definitely. You know, if you think about 2015 strains versus today, they're probably very different. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I used to. Yeah. But yeah, they they were on the market then. Um, I feel like somebody else was too. Can't really. But they were like the main two. Yeah. Yeah. And so like, that's kind of crazy to think that they were kind of the main two first recreationally or legal like hash company, I guess ever technically. <laughs> Yeah, in the U.S. Yeah, Nick was like the first uh, hash maker I think to pay like taxes on his hash, like on the hash itself and stuff. Yeah, that's crazy. Yeah, it was definitely a historic time. And so mm-hmm. yeah, that 
that's a cool experience for yeah, sure. Yeah, it's definitely, it's cool to like, that's, I always think about that. It's crazy, like, being part of like this whole revolution of an industry. Like, you know, it's really, it's like, you know, just, just really starting and like everything is changing so much. It's really cool to be part of like that foundation and like, you know, part of like those, you know, first few people. Yeah, it's crazy. Yeah. Like you were saying earlier, when you, when you left Wyoming and came here, everybody was, I guess, supportive of you doing this. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they're definitely supportive. Like I, I definitely, like I used to have like really bad chronic headaches and stuff and I always smoked a lot of weed for my migraines and headaches and stuff. And so like all my family was very supportive of cannabis. You know, it definitely took some time for my dad and stuff to come around. But yeah, by the time I moved out here, everybody was really supportive of what I was doing. That's, that's cool. It's awesome. To, like, yeah, I like talk because my dad, like he makes machinery and stuff. And I'm always like talking to like, let's make like this, like rosin so and like, he's, yeah. he's totally into it and stuff. And it's like, who I would have never expected to be talking to weed, about weed with him. And that's, yeah, it's, it's a cool time. Yeah, it is. Um, it's funny, you know, just because, yeah, obviously the machinery that goes along with all the changes is always evolving as well. Yeah, yeah, it is. You know, so I, in that regards, I wonder, like, you know, what's what's kind of the next big thing? Yeah, I hope it's some sort of, some sort of, like, dope machine that, like, mimics hand washing type of thing. I don't know. Like, definitely, I enjoy, like, how gentle uh, hand-washing is and stuff on the trichomes and, like, everything. But, like, when you get to a certain scale, it's hard to keep up with that. Right. But, uh, I guess, yeah. like you said, if you're doing it for specific reasons, like, the farmer wants yeah, water like, hash, then, right, you do it. Mm-hmm. And then, maybe if not, you can use the machines a little more. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. But, yeah, I think, I, I just, I, it's crazy how archaic like walking is it's just it's like yeah everything else is just so like you know like keeps on evolving and stuff and it's just like but we're still stern in a bucket with a paddle and like just weed nice like it's pretty crazy yeah i mean but it's, yeah. it's, it works it does it's pretty low tech but it gets the job done exactly yeah i'm excited to see what's next on the extraction side of things i think i think that'll be the next the next big thing when you could like scale up like the whole thing like PC bubble man's working on and stuff like the big closed loop machine stuff those are so crazy yeah I've seen some of this tech with I guess Whistler tech yeah or something that yeah. he works with up there uh huh so like, yeah the big crazy closed loop machine that's like tons of new tons at a time or something you know I definitely I think yeah but definitely like the scalability of that stuff is crazy yeah they they seem to be working on like a variety of different machines, mm-hmm. you know, and like you said, they're all aimed at like almost like a mass production. Yeah. And it's, it's crazy. I definitely like, I think, you know, with big, big companies getting into the game and stuff, you know, like some of these big corporations and stuff, I definitely think there's going to be a big market for mass produced stuff like that. And, you know, definitely excited just to see like, be crazy, yeah. I can't imagine washing that much weed in a day, that much hash coming off of like <laughs> it's pretty mind blowing. Yeah, I mean, when you see those huge, huge chunks, those vessels, and just everything, you're just like, wow. You know, yeah, it's. I guess yeah. When you're talking about like you know corporations, like you know huge corporations getting into it, they probably have fields and fields and fields of yeah, yeah, product. Yeah, I mean. 
Why not? I guess. Yeah. Right. Uh huh. So, like, I don't know how be, the quality. Will be. I was gonna say it might not be the best quality and everything, but it's like it's cool that like they'll be making you know solvent extractions hopefully for like salves or edibles or anything you know instead of you know instead of a BHO machine or so so run it into crude and distillate and stuff you know it's cool that there's a whole a whole other market for that type of you know extraction. Yeah, but like you said earlier, you know I think that there'll still be. A different market for definitely there'll always be that high for a high like, yeah small small batch yeah. you know the same with like you know liquor or anything there's there's still small batch bottles of liquor that go for thousands and thousands of dollars because only so much is produced right yeah yeah no it's true we'll see kind of what happens with that yeah exactly you know well I know we've been talking for a while I have a few kind of random questions uh-huh. uh, up and down the spectrum that I wanted to ask you before we're done. But so, you know, the term solventless is interesting in the sense that it implies that there's no like solvent in the process. Yeah. Right. And so obviously water can be a solvent. Yeah. But it's just not a solvent when it comes to making Water hash because it's just used as a carrying vessel for the trichome. Which, like, I don't know. I definitely like that argument. It's it's an interesting one. I definitely find myself calling it solventless just because I worked for Essential for so long. And that's right. the term that we called it. So definitely find myself going back to that. But I definitely do agree with, like, it's came in contact with the solvent. But, you know, it might it's get that point. It might be solvent. Like, have a solvent. But... It's been removed and it's only used as a vessel. I still see it as solventless. Right. Yeah, and it's interesting that Nick, he's the one kind of coined that term, right? Yeah. Uh, Solventless. And now it's become just this like umbrella category Uh of anything that is made with no solvent. Yeah, exactly. Right. And so it is kind of an intriguing term, but yeah, I, I guess technically just because it, doesn't act like a solvent necessarily yeah. in this case, right? Because, uh-huh. I mean, with some of the soluble terpenes, like you said, I guess, yeah, it, it does. Yeah. But if you're losing those anyways, then technically the hash that you're getting behind isn't, it's not like that part of it necessarily it's mixed still, with yeah. the water, right? Yeah, I don't know. It's definitely, it's an interesting one. I yeah. can go both ways with it. It's like, I, I definitely agree. It's not solventless. But and at the same time, I definitely still call it solventless. <laughs> yeah. And so, like, when you are doing the sauces or like reintroducing uh-huh. the terpenes, are the terpenes in that case acting as a solvent um, since they can be as well? I definitely think, yeah, yeah, probably. Like with the crystallization and stuff, they're probably acting as a solvent a little bit. So, is it fair? I guess in that case, to still call it solventless. Mm, I don't know. That's a good question. Because, like, I don't know, because the, the, the terps are already there in the product. So, I mean, at that point, you could almost, you couldn't call, like, flour even solventless because the terps are still. But I guess it hasn't acted as a solvent. So, I don't know. That's definitely. Well, you're re- removing the terpenes, right? Uh-huh. Essentially. And then, I don't know if by reintroducing to it or not. I don't know, you know? Yeah. I'm curious as well. That's why I was uh-huh. asking. Yeah. I don't know. Definitely. Like I said, I could probably go both ways on that one. Yeah. Yeah. On rosin, I've seen 
some posts in the past where you've called something like a six-star rosin. Mm-hmm. Do you feel like rosin should be star, like work on a star system? No, not really. I definitely think at that point it was probably like a hype term that was used. <laughs> I don't know. Like, I don't know though, because like at the same time, like we were talking about like 90 rosin and stuff. You know, some batches, the 120s, you know, where you're like, your majority of your full metal lies. So, like, in that case, I would rather have the rosin from the 120 than the 90. So, maybe it should just be called six star rosin and not micron specific. And, like, you know, you use the six star from that batch to make that rosin. But at the same time, I mean, rosin's not based on the star system. So, it's like, it's hard. Yeah. It's, it's something I've been trying to kind of. Yeah, yeah. Figure out as well. Like, I think I said, that's sorry. Oh no, go ahead, go ahead. But that's why I like what a few companies do with like their premium line. It's like this is the better action. This is like our normal line. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I think I've seen like seven, ten calls. There's like the Percy. Yeah, Percy. And there's like the personal head stash. Uh huh. And I think like all greens they call theirs like private reserve or you know. Right, yeah, there's a term that's yeah, laser cats, like premium, you know. I, I like those terms, because it's like, you know, a blanket, like, this is the better product. It might be 120U, it might be 90U, but this is this is where we, this is, like, the better product from the batch. Which, like, I, and then I, I also, I mean, I like, like, a few growers I work with, you know, they, they like the full, full spectrum, and, like, I definitely enjoy that as well. I feel like that's a, a more true to the plant, you know, uh, spectrum flavor effect everything you know like a lot of the 90u rosins and a lot of you know the strength or the micron specific rosins are very they lean like one way on the flavor you know like i i noticed when you're pulling different microns you know different microns smell different and a lot of batches you know you'll, your 90u will smell a little different than your 120u or like you know right and so at that point you know it's definitely like a little bit different of a experience or smoke yeah i mean i definitely agree if you were to combine them all again mm-hmm. the spectrum would change yeah on that resin definitely. you know and i think a lot of people maybe don't like the thought of that in the sense that like it leads to more i feel like feel like people feel like it would lead to more like contamination or i don't know what else it could necessarily be but if it's all being rosined properly then there really shouldn't be anything, I guess, to worry about in that sense of yeah. like melt, right? Definitely. So yeah, I I think just why people keep it separate is it seems like the ninety and stuff is pushes out a lighter color, you know, a little bit like it's easier to keep that stuff sappy and stuff. It seems like the full spec likes to butter out, so you know, a lot of people just like the look of it because. I definitely think, you know, with the less contamination, if it's like, you know, if it's like 95%, if it's squished out like 90% or whatever, you know, there's only 10% of other stuff that could affect it. Or if it squishes at 70%, you know, that other like 30% can affect that flavor, I feel like, or can affect it, you know, color or right. anything else. And so you're definitely, are you personally for the lighter color? Or um, are you just... No. I, no, like I definitely like, I don't think, I don't think like white it draws has to be white or you know like the lighter like I definitely I like 
a lot of dark resins. A lot of strains, you know, produce darker resins. Like like I said, Tropicana Cookies is one of my favorite smokes. But normally it comes out a little bit darker. Um, GMO usually comes out a little bit darker. You know, a lot of strains just have a little bit darker resin. Like a lot of strains come out really, really white. Like, you know, even if you pull them a little bit later, they're still really white. Right. You know? It's just like their nature. Uh-huh. But the Tropicana, it's interesting that you brought it up again because... I meant to ask you, you know, that, that purple that everybody sees off that hash. Yeah. That's essentially basically a pigment from the plant that obviously has like water soluble capabilities as well. Or um, so I don't know on that one. Cause like I have seen like macro photography of drop and like even some of the heads fill in purple. They do. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. So like some, some strains like the heads fill in purple. And I don't know if that's like leaching from the like. There's so much antithesis in the plant that it's like leaching into the trichomes, or if the trichomes are actually forming with those in those, right? Or a combination. Yeah, yeah. So it's I don't know. It's interesting because yeah, even even when I made the THCA out of the Tropicana cookies, it was pink. Really? Yeah. And so, I guess would that be a factor that would vary how the these crystals would end up looking. Yeah. So like, like I said, like the crystals, it was like pink. It was, it was really interesting. And did the, the kind of opacity of these crystals change as well outside of like the color? Definitely. Like kind of, like I said, different, different strains do different formations. It seems like, and different like heat, you can make different formations. It's just, there's a lot of variables to like the crystal growth. I really, I don't know, you know, a ton about it. I've just kind of been playing with a little bit of it. Yeah. But like, yeah, it's crazy. You'll put like, you know, it on a little bit lower heat and you'll get like slower growth, but bigger crystals. And you put it on higher heat, you get like pinpoint. And then like these other, this other heat, like I got these like super long, like snowflake looking crystals. And it's like, it's cool. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like you said, I don't know. Obviously we don't know the science behind it, Uh but on a practical level or like it's cool. Yeah. Like, it's really, it's, it's cool to see. Wake up and check on your jars a week or two later and see uh-huh. kind of what happened or what's happening. Yeah. It's definitely, it's rewarding. Um, yeah, it keeps things new. Yeah. And so outside of the Tropicana though, you haven't seen a variation in the crystal color, like pink. Uh, there's a few other strains that I've made like THEA out of it. Yeah. It's been like, kind of pink purple which I, I, um, yeah I don't know if, I don't know if that's the like heads filled in purple and it like I don't know I don't know it could just be stained or like I don't know what it really is right because like it's definitely that water if you get that purple water on anything like your clothes or anything it's stained it's like it's just like very very purple yeah and, like some of those strands I'm sure hopefully eventually they'll figure out like the science oh, behind yeah. it or whatever uh-huh. but it'll be interesting to see like what's going on but yeah yeah it definitely has a a unique look to it yeah you know so now that you've been working in the cannabis industry for a while now and now you know obviously you're doing your own thing i guess how would you determine or say that somebody has been i guess successful within the cannabis industry or how do you define success within the cannabis industry Um. for you I feel like if you're if you're able to like support yourself 
and do what you want to do and live like a happy life that's gotta be pretty bad i feel like a lot of a lot of people in the cannabis industry are doing that you know they get to go to work grow weed and make cash you know make money off that be able to live a life that they want to live pretty pretty freely um yeah that's that's definitely kind of how i what i see it success in the industry cool and if you had to say maybe i guess two things that you feel are important in order to be successful what would those be like consistency and being a good person honestly like it's this community i don't know like it's a small community like you know like it's especially like growers and stuff that people talk and like you know it's, it's definitely like people you know want to support people that they like and it's, you know it's it goes a long way in a small small community when it's just like you know it's everybody knows everybody everybody kind of knows what goes on if you know this person doesn't work well with this person you know right definitely. or just yeah yeah maybe not doing things to yeah it's just trying to you know trying to be like a fair business person you know right yeah yeah yeah, so almost like building a, essentially a, a work reputation. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I think that's huge because uh, you know it, it, it seems like you know it's a it's a pretty small, small group of people that are crushing the campus community. Right. And, you know they definitely talk. Yeah. No, that's uh, it's been interesting to see or hear about like just even the local scene here. Uh huh. You know, and how that also kind of plays on each other if you had to bring back one strain that's kind of been lost to you either personally or just something that isn't been growing anymore what would it be um we ran this tiger's milk for kind of like uh, had it been like three years ago i had essential that was hands down my favorite hash i've ever ran and i've never ran like that cut or that i've ran that strain a few other times but it definitely wasn't that cut like i was Hands down, my favorite batch of passion ever put out. Tiger's milk. Yeah, I remember you yeah. roasting a couple of times. It was, it was a, it's super interesting phenol they have. It's like butterscotchy, almost like strawberry and cream with butterscotch. I don't know. It was super, super fire. That was like, like I said, I, that was back in the seeding days. It was like fishing, really like caviar, greased out, really, really nice. Right. Yeah. Yeah, that it had was, a particular look to it. Too. That one was one of my favorites. Yeah. Yeah, so you know, that's interesting because you've seen like so many strains and you smelled so many strains, uh-huh. but it's funny how like our senses still tie us to like closely with our memories, definitely, and how you probably remember like going through those batches. Oh, yeah, no, I, I feel like if I ran another batch, it, yeah, it's crazy. Certain flavors you like smoke. You know, like take it out of something but like like headband. I have a whenever I smoke headband, it like brings back high school memories. I used to get this fire headband back in the day, like flow, same thing, like golden goat. It's like, yeah, it's crazy how flavors and stuff like that associate with memories. And you like smoke something that's like memories start flashing in your head and stuff. Yeah, yeah, it's that's, it's all definitely connected. Uh huh. Yeah, it's uh, it's funny how strong the those connections are. Yeah, it really is. And, you know, I know you enjoy the outdoors a lot. I'm assuming that's something that kind of came from maybe growing up in Wyoming. Yeah, definitely. If you had to suggest one place, 
you know, in or around the Denver Boulder area uh-huh. um, for somebody to come check out and either maybe enjoy a dab or not. Uh-huh. What would place that be? I used to go up to Lookout Mountain and like dab up there all the time back when I lived in Denver. It was it's great. It's like 20 minutes from Denver and you get a crazy view all over Denver. And it, it used to be like you could go sit out on the rocks and every, there'd always be people smoking there and stuff, but they kind of shut down the, the rocks. But yeah, a lot, I know a lot of people that go up there and dab. It's great views and stuff. And then um, there's a place up in Boulder that's, I think it's Lost Gulch, I think. And it's also super, super crazy views. That's uh, it's a good one to go up and dab. But you got to be careful there because I've definitely got a ticket for dabbing up there. <laughs> yeah. But. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I don't know exactly how that works. I'm assuming you can't or whatever. Yeah, they, they the cops were super cool, or the, the park rangers were super cool about it. They gave me a ticket like I was smoking a cigarette. So you're not even supposed to smoke cigarettes up there, I guess. And so it was like $100 for fine online or something on my way. But Right. Definitely, yeah. They were actually, they watched with binoculars down from a different, a different spot and watched me down for a while and then came up. <laughs> That's really funny, actually. So, if you had to choose one favorite hash maker from the Denver area outside of your own work, who would it be? Like commercial level, 710 Labs, and then like private small level, probably Hashgraphs. Okay, cool. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, you had various of their collabs today. Some of the few of their work. Um, yeah, Hashgraphs used to buy a lot of mouth off me and like hash off me and was always a big fan. And, of just solvent, you know, just like um, solventless in general, and uh, you know, started had a big interest in it and started washing and crushing it himself. And yeah, it's um, cool to see him come as far as he has because, yeah, he puts out some amazing cash. Yeah, it's cool. Yeah, all his stuff today smelled killer. Yeah, yeah, and then you know, again, he's also working with like various people. I know yeah. he does rosin only a lot, but. Yeah, and he has some single star stuff too. It's him and a buddy. But yeah, they, they, do, um, they do great work. Yeah. But there's so many people that crush it in Denver, honestly. I smoke a lot of other people's hash. I'm always, I always find myself buying other people's hash. Yeah. It's just You're so like much. a fan as yeah. well. I mean, exactly. There's just so much good hash out. You see somebody that runs a flavor that you haven't ran before, and it's like, oh, gotta go get that. <laughs> no, that's cool. And then actually, that reminds me, you mentioned earlier about you might be doing trying to do single source as well yeah yeah definitely trying to get a little, little more into that I don't have the craziest knowledge like craziest background knowledge on growing or anything but I work with a lot of people that are very open with what they do and you know very helpful and set things up I definitely I've always wanted to be able to just be able to control all aspects of that. I really want to grow so I can like make different changes and see how it affects the resin so I can tell the grower or tell growers like, hey, these are the changes like you need to make to like affect the resin this way or like, you yeah. know, it's just like right now I, I have a lot of theories, but I've never really, you know, put it to, put it to test. Yeah. So. It's a kind of funny viewpoint, you know, like, a, yeah, it's like, yeah, you do want to do it for the growing purpose as well, mm-hmm. but you're looking at it kind of in a different yeah, and the light, and then using that information to help other people. Yeah, exactly. It's just yeah, I I definitely I know a few people that you know 
know that that side of the thing and, and wash it like yeah they know what changes to make and it, it makes a big difference you know a few small changes you grow can definitely you know up your yield quite a bit or your quality quite a bit yeah it's, it's nice to be able to have that knowledge yeah what would be some strains you think you would run or like to run um I, I really like this Kim D or Kim D or Kim Kim D O G that um, everybody runs around here that dumps a hash. It's one of my favorite strains to wash. Just it all comes off in the first wash. It's just it's super super spanky. Yields really well. That the uh, Kim Dilla Kim another Kim D I ninety five cross that does super well that everybody does really well with. Um, I'd like to do those. You know a few strains. Really like this ice cream cake that a buddy runs. Uh, gelato wedding cake. It's like sweet gas. Does really well. Like to run that. Cool. Yeah. Your favorite dispensary in Denver, or I guess what you suggest to somebody who came in from out of town? Favorite dispensary. Um, if you're trying to get flour, I like Montreux Gardens flour, which I think you can pick up at Wolfpack in Denver or Eclipse in Boulder, and then. For hash, I like like trying to think. I honestly don't shop a ton in Denver anymore. I guess it could be Boulder yeah, as well. Yeah, the Clips and Boulder is usually where I go for like all my stuff. They they like carry every, like all everybody's stuff like Laser Cat, Leafa, Seven Ten Labs. Yeah, all this all those companies. They have the Montreux Garden stuff. They have a bunch of other flower Verde Garden. You know, they have a bunch of a bunch of different gardens and flavors and stuff. Cool. Yeah, That's that sounds good. good. I mean, for somebody that kind of wants to go to one place and yeah, can be able to get a lot of different things in the salon. It's cool. Dead Rack in Denver is really good too. They got good laser cat seven ten. Their flower is pretty good. Yeah. Cool. Well, last question, man. If you could hear any other hash maker on the show, who obviously hasn't been on yet. Who would you like to hear? Probably like Soil Ground Phil. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. He's got a lot to say. Like, it's crazy how is what he, like I said, putting out rosin, it's crazy how much stuff changed everything. Yeah. I agree. I think it would be um, and a good interview. Yeah. He's definitely like super knowledgeable. And, you know, it seems like, you know, making presses and everything. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I definitely yeah. Cool. That one. Awesome. Yeah. Well we'll we'll see if we can make that happen hopefully yeah. <laughs> down the line. But you know, again, thank you so much. Of course. Taking up a bunch of your time. Yeah, yeah. I appreciate it. Again, this is Sam from Mile High Melts. Um you can follow him on Instagram at mile underscore high underscore melts with an S or at samwise.ganji. Anything else you want to say, Sam? Uh, no, just thank you for coming out. Sure, yeah, absolutely. Appreciate it was it. my pleasure hanging out with you. And thanks for all the resin. It was pretty yeah, cool to go through all your stash. It's uh, pretty epic and there's some real cool, funky stuff in there. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, so, well, cool, man. Thank you for listening to the Hashish Inn. If you like the podcast, we'd love for you to subscribe, rate, and give us a review. Until next time.